Wouldst thou swallow a bag of Richards? Welcome to the 3T RPG podcast. My name is Harrison Hunt, and with me is Nikki Lambie. Eh, eh. And of course, we've got James <laughs> Clark. Hello. <laughs> if you couldn't tell from Nick's beautiful noises just then, this is a podcast all about tabletop RPGs. And we're coming at you live from various places in England. Nick, you recently <laughs> moved, right? Yes, mate. Yes, I am. To, to where? Exactly. <laughs> Very good joke. And you know what? I used to crack the same <laughs> joke before I moved here, and now it's just annoying. <laughs> you're going to be hearing it for the rest of the time you're there. I was like, I know he's heard this before, but I just need to get it out of my system. Yeah, the town where? Nick has moved to is called where? Yes. Like werewolf. As it, Which as is in, confusing. As in, no, it's actually, no, it's W-A-R-E. But it does make me laugh because everything is like, oh, have you been to where? Tesco's and I just can't stop picturing like <laughs> werewolves but like you know where Tesco's or it just sounds like a really oh yeah yeah where Tesco's <laughs> every full moon I turn into a supermarket yeah and eat oh, people oh, oh don't that would, be, that would be a good Call of Cthulhu campaign there you go yeah where people t- are going into Tesco's but they're not coming back mm-hmm I like it. But yeah, we got we got all of our normal segments today. We got feedback. We got the news. We got what you've been slaying. Now we got the main subject where we're going to discuss the worst fantasy book ever published, and it's not the one you're thinking of. And then we're going to go to electro letters where we're discussing can the GM cheat? Oh, all that and more coming up. There mm-hmm. actually isn't more. It is just all that. <laughs> that's it. That's that's the lot. Shall we do some feedbacks? Please. Yeah. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch. The feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. So, obviously, last time we did something RPG adjacent and we talked about Dungeon Synth. And Brent Alt, he's got in touch uh, regarding that episode. And he says, I spent my weekend playing NetHack and listening to corny Dungeon Synth tunes. And if you ever run out of episode ideas, you should consider an episode on NetHack. The possibilities in that game are mind-blowing and probably only matched by an actual tabletop session of basic Essentials D&D. Um, yes, I've, I, have you guys ever heard of NetHack? Can't say I have, no. I have, I have not. So it's a ASCII art-based game that's basically a, it's a roguelike fantasy dungeon-exploring game. But it's like, rather than go for complexities with graphics or anything like this, because it is a very old game, mm. it's just got so many different possibilities and things like this. And I think, uh, if, if I'm recording correctly, I've played it a couple of times, and it's about um, just getting to like further and further levels of an infinite dungeon, just trying to beat your last score and things like this. That's pretty cool. If, if I'm not mistaken, but it's cool because you can play it basically on any browser and there's about 50,000 different versions of it that you could download. So yeah, we might do that. We might do that. But I'm glad that Brent got some uh, some listening advice from us. He's a dude. Yeah, give... that's good. It's good to know. Next one comes in from Lewis Rush. He's re- regarding the Resident Evil streams <laughs> that I've been doing on our YouTube. And he says, the fuck is this shit? Glad to hear your voice, but why Resident Evil? I'm glad that he was. He he clearly he clearly kept himself in check there and was a bit nice about it in the middle there. Glad to hear your voice. I'm glad he sort of. It's like a compliment sandwich. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, the wrong exactly. way around. It's like an angry sandwich. <laughs> yeah. The fuck is this Cuff shit? Sandwich. What do you want to explain? Um, yeah, I'll explain. Um, you see, what happened was, is I was playing Resident Evil and I pressed the share button on my PS4 and that. That's it, really. 
that's it and then the rest <laughs> is history <laughs> the rest is history and now i'm a famous streamer no t- yeah to tell you the truth it's got it's got basically nothing to do with our main output but we're just branching it's not out, monetized branching out, yeah, exactly. We're not making any money off of it. It's just it's just for a laugh, and I'm doing it at kind of random times. So if listeners ever want to, you know, come and hang out, then that's basically what it's for. It's got nothing to do with RPGs, although they do get mentioned. We talked yeah. about Hackmaster on the last stream. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's, it's good. It's it's a good little thing. I love it. I'm going to get involved in it now. I'm moved, um, and uh, I think why not? It's 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 you know. It's just an excuse to hang out with listeners exactly. and, you know, bullshit, bullshit and talk shit. And I tell you what, I don't, I, I've got the furthest I've ever got in Resident Evil 1, and it's because of the listeners helping me with the puzzles. We got stuck on one for 15 minutes, and Shogun Pumba stayed late at work to help me with oh, it. Oh, bless him, he's a hero, <laughs> that guy. So is this, is this the remake of Resi 1? Yeah, the one that was originally a remake that came out on GameCube and then it came out on PS4. So that's the one I'm playing. Has it got the original voice acting? Well, no, actually, they redid oh, it, but it's still they do terrible. Chris's blood? So did they do Chris's blood. That looks like unfortunately Chris's not. Blood. It's, oh, no. it's uh, Barry. He now leans down. And he just goes, "Blood looks like it's fresh." <laughs> oh no! But it's funny because I, I said on the stream, it's like this is their second attempt at it, it's and they still, still bad. Quit. <laughs> it's awful, and it's like. Uh, anyway, but it's still amusing and uh, great fun. But yeah, it's, it's, it's got nothing to do with this. And I, oh, I don't does that mean you. you're going to do the remake of number two later on as well? That's what I intend to do. I'm going to do the Brilliant. first, all of the mainline ones, and that doesn't mm-hmm. include three because that was a it was a spin-off. It's just that they just called it three. So I'm not doing that one, but I'm doing all the others. Um, Can we uh, make sure we do Biohazard together then so we don't get scared? Because, jeez, that was, one. I suck at that one, and I think it would actually be really good if the if you and I did it together. So, yeah, we'll I've sort that it. out. I've got, so, I've got that on PlayStation as well, so we can jump on that. That'd be fun. Sounds good. All right, let's stop talking about video games, right? Because people are going to get really oh, angry. Wrong podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Victor Ulansky regarding the Dungeon Synth episode he says hi I guess we are somehow telepathically connected because I decided to take the leap and ordered my first batch of tapes shortly before you aired the episode about Dungeon Synth I was more of a fiendish imp from Spotify kind of guy but the art from the boxes (laughs) won me over keep up the good work make more great episodes PS, you inspired me to run my own podcast about OSR. It's in Polish, but Harrison is one-sixth, or was it a quarter, Polish, so maybe he would be able to understand a few lines. Check us out at philacterium.pl.poland. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, so go and listen to that if you're Polish. And Yeah, I'm a quarter Polish, but I only know one word, so I, w- um, I, I will be listening, But and as long as you say the word welcome in Polish over and over again, I'll be fine. <laughs> I only know, uh, you know, exactly I only what's know a curse. A curse. What is it? O kurwa. What's that? It's fuck. Take that, Victor. Is it? I probably pronounced yeah. it really, really wrong, so good. Enjoy <laughs> that. You daft de- sure. racist. Victor, let us know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you for the email. I'm glad you bought, picked up some tapes. I used to have uh, a collection of them as well, but uh, I sold them all and uh, don't have them anymore. So that's about that. <laughs> cool story, bro. <laughs> yeah. Cool story, bro. I can't wait for one of the big film companies to take up the rights to that one. <laughs> I'll wait for the sequel. <laughs> man buys tapes. I, man sells still tapes. Hasn't gotten ta- still hasn't got tapes, part two. Yeah. I think I've, uh, all right, anyway, enough about that. Sean Hunt, my brother, he says, uh, we were talking about ah. thievery recently, and he says, hello there, I'm glad you guys had a chat in your episode, the one book every GM should own about light thieving. 
have got a few things, <laughs> such as a sake bottle from Wagamama and some lovely Stella Artois pint glasses. Had a mate once who used to go into M&S on a daily basis and pretend to look around, steal a croissant for breakfast on the way to work, and then pretend to look around a bit more. <laughs> One day he was caught and got fined for croissant theft. Wow. <laughs> oh dear. Wow. Well, I remember hearing on uh, Russell Brand's radio show that when he was a drug addict and didn't have any money, obviously, he used to go around Sainsbury's, mm. put stuff in his basket like he was shopping and just eat it as he was going round and then just leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Does anyone remember being, well, like, when you went shopping as a kid? Like, when, when I was in the trolley, mum and dad would always get a bit of French stick and I would just, like, slowly nibble on the end of the French stick by the time I got to the counter. We, well, we used to do it off like, at the top. <laughs> We used to do it with like multi packs of crisps. So you, my mum would, you know, take one out and give it to me, and then pay for it yeah. at the end. But uh, you see, people sometimes it's like they are just using it like a buffet, and at the end they get to the end and just pay for all the wrappers. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird when yeah, you see that. I've seen that. Just it's like there, like munching a banana. Like, so you you go into like the garden yet. furniture section of Tesco, sit down, you know, get your little bottle of gin. Get the Barbie on the go. Get the Barbie on the go indoors. Get some coals. <laughs> yeah. And from then the, at the end, you from just the outdoor put, section. Yeah, and then at the end, you just swipe the used barbecue over the over the uh, self checkout. <laughs> Still lit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still you know, lit. Not. You're like <laughs> trying to get it through. Just fuck. <laughs> Quick, scan it. <laughs> We got a couple of other feedbacks through. I'm just going to read one of them because I think it's probably the most important one. Yorkus Rex regarding uh, we spoke about Mortis on the last episode and uh, and basically we the today's episode is going to be about his book which is the worst fantasy Ooh. book ever written. Although Yorkus Rex uh, the ever the internet sleuth has rec- realized something. He says, "Why is it that when I search on Amazon for the Mortis fantasy book Secrets of My Kingdom Return to Dimensions Unknown, there's only one review, five stars from some fellow in the UK named Harrison Hunt and it simply <laughs> reads amazing." <laughs> Here, here's my explanation right so I originally did a probably way too long scathing review on Amazon and then there was a festival for Dungeon Synth musicians being organised in the UK and I was going to be the slot before Mortis was on and I was worried that I'd meet him and he'd recognise my name and <laughs> but I couldn't figure out how to delete my review so that is why that so is there. So you amended it. I also went back through the Dungeon Synths groups and erased everything negative I ever said about him just in case he searched my name <laughs> oh Unfortunately my the festival never happened so um so it so was all going back nothing. on. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, yeah, I might just rewrite the. Re- actually, consider this the rewrite. I'll just put a link to the po- this podcast yeah, on the Amazon. <laughs> Shameless promotion. Idea. Yeah, love it. Oh, nice. Shall we do some RPG news? Yes. What's going on in the world? No, it's not about the world, mate. It's about their niche. Of- yeah, yeah. No, I mean the world of RPGs. Oh, okay. Sorry, you can see why I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> the only world we know. Come on. The Oath of Accessibility. That's the headline. I couldn't think of a better one. But a guy working for a Bristol children's hospital has released two D&D 5e supplements and the money from said supplements is going to the Bristol children's hospital. Nice thing to do. It's a good thing. It's very nice. lovely, isn't it? Yep, yep. But here comes the scorn. 
So, um, <laughs> all this is, right, is this guy, it's, it's, he's made this, but it's so patronising. So, what this is, essentially a subclass <laughs> of paladins, right, called the Oath of Accessibility, which is the lamest thing I've ever heard. But the other supplement <laughs> is an NPC for use in your games. But So, uh, James, you've played a paladin before. And when you pick a paladin, right, when you get to level three, you pick your path, which is called your oath, and it gives you certain special abilities, right? Mm. And that's basically what this is. The oath of accessibility is a religious order developed to creating equal opportunities for everyone, which isn't actually quite as cringe as it could be, because you could say, you know, that you're a neutral paladin. You're a, you're a paladin of neutrality, and you think everyone should have the same opportunities, right? But here's the problem. Mm-hmm. Most of the Paladin's Oath spells, right, that they, they get um, are of all involved around, revolve around, like, aiding disabled people, which isn't in and of itself a bad thing, but it's obviously got a really specific type of disabled person in mind, which is someone in a wheelchair who, who struggles with speech, right? And the Paladins also get two new abilities that just do things that already exist amongst the Paladin spells. And probably the most patronising and stupid part is the combat wheelchair. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Oh, no. Nick, Nick nearly died just then. Sorry. Oh, dear. Why, you know what, why? Right? This, it's, it's not a terrible thing to want to be more inclusive, but bear in no, mind... of course it's not. You could play a paladin that does the things this one already does in D&D if you wanted to. That's the good thing about D&D. It's quite open like that. But... Um, Here's my problem, right? I think the uh, we I've said this before about similar types of things. It still perpetuates two really annoying stereotypes, and it's a that all disabled people require help from other people to to actually do anything worthwhile, right? When yeah. a lot of disabled people work within their limitations or work despite their limitations, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah so totally. and in this, it's like you you know the disabled people need a literally magical white knight if they want to get along in this world like it just annoys me and additionally the same thing i've said before about this type of stuff disabled doesn't necessarily mean a wheelchair i mean you've got no, you know no, that's the and biggest nothing. stereotype that you could fucking label it that's that's what annoys me about it because it's like you could be blind deaf have a heart condition a lung condition any of these things but it's like it always comes down to wheelchairs that's all it is and it's like it's kind of annoying because to, to, in an attempt to be more inclusive, it's like you're alienating so many people. People that yeah. if they wanted to play somebody like themselves, they could do it in D&D already. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, mate. It's, yeah, it's, I, it's a bit dumb. It's it very is quite dumb. dumb. Kind I just, of dumb, yeah. I, I just feel like... Oh, but it, it's not a bad thing because he's obviously... He's raising money for a children's hospital, which I can't be angry about, despite how much how much I want to be angry about it, you know? Those <laughs> yeah, children. That normally makes me so mad. <laughs> Freeloading <laughs> scumbags. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's just it's just that thing. I think I think just just leave it out, okay? Right? We got, but we, we there's plenty of ways to play a disabled person in all the games already. You don't need to alienate more people. I mean, if you like... If you like, if you did a thing about you know uh, a, a supplement for extra supplement for including every race in the game, but left out Portuguese or just made it about Portuguese, that's what yeah, it'd be like. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is that's it for news, mate. It's been a it's been a slow one yet again. I mean, I'm thinking we might got, drop the news bit, segment. I've got a little bit of news. Oh yeah, just a tiny bit. Uh, so my brother-in-law uh, turned thirty the other day, and someone bought him D and D starter pack for his birthday. Yes. Shut up. Yes. yes. So we might have a new player soon. <laughs> we might have a new player, mate. Who's that, Michael? 
Anthony, baby one. Anthony. Oh, right, nice, nice. Yeah. Well, that's the, well that means there's going to be no, nothing to anybody, but yeah, that is a good bit of news. <laughs> it's, it's a new person coming into the fold. Hey, of the it's, hobby. It's, it's new to us, and uh, we I like Anthony, so it's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, there you go. We love it. Um, so, anyone out there, any Anthony fans out there? They're going to be fucking chuffed, right? Yeah, they're going to be well chuffed, mate. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> Let's go into what we've been playing, shall we? Yes, please. Yeah. What you slaying? Oh, what's going on with my dry ass mouth this morning? Dry ass. I'm a dry ass. Dry ass. Somebody put some moisture. Oh no! Um, Stop so it. So we we've been continuing to play our tough guys campaign, which is a uh, British gangster setting for Savage Worlds, and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, we, so these guys, uh, Nick is the boss of a small branch of a gang operating in a fictional borough of East London called Walford. <laughs> and um, yeah. where we're at the moment is they've kind of they killed off their main rival gang. Essentially, they've they've absolutely destroyed them. Confronting their boss at a concert that she was holding, she was a rapper, and um, upon King of them, a new guy's entered the scene, and it's this guy, and he's based on a real guy. So I know you're going to laugh, but his name's Fanny Helvania <laughs> Kelmedi, and he's basically he's based on a real Romanian gangster who's who's also called Fanny. And before I continue with what we were doing in the campaign, I want to say one of the funniest bits of TV I've ever watched was basically the in Romania they have this thing where they there's these singers called Manele singers. They're like uh, gypsy singers basically. And to show off your wealth in the Romanian mafia world, what you're supposed to do is pay the most famous Manele singers uh, loads of money and keep them on for ridiculous amounts of long like time during your parties to display <laughs> yeah. how wealthy you are. And oh uh, yeah, this guy, this gangster called Fanny is hosting a party and he's got this singer singing for like eight hours straight. And at one point the singer just doesn't have any lyrics left and he just starts going, Fanny, 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 Fanny. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh my God. And this is supposed to be badass, right? Oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I appropriated that a little bit. And uh, so yeah, the uh, Albanian mafia and this boss called Fanny, they turn up one day and he's taking one of the players' uh, mums out on a date taking her to a musical and the players all go there and confront him and it turns out he's you know he's coming to town and he's he's laid his claim on london as a gangster as an area to do his operations and said you know that he's brought seven of his hardest men with him and all of this stuff and he's just trying to wave his dick around you know i'm the i'm the big boy i'm taking your mum out for a date i know where you live so don't (laughs) fuck with me yeah yeah, and it's it's been pretty fucking nuts. So so far, what they have done is they have stolen a shipment of limos, stolen limos from the Albanians. They have uh, also stole a number of uh, Magic the Gathering cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so they did a heist for some Magic the Gathering cards. They stole some uh, limos off the Albanians, and the Albanian mafia keep turning up in places they don't want them to. <laughs> And the last straw was that one of our players, who's a big Millwall fan and a football hooligan, one of the characters, yeah, him, he basically uh, was watching the TV and suddenly he finds out that Fanny's bought his club. He's bought Millwall, oh, the team. Oh, my God, yeah. 
Now that was the last fucking straw, and they, the guys, they built up so much heat during the Magic: The Gathering heist. Yeah, Kill, killed innocent people, shot into a crowd <laughs> of protesters, killed three policemen, um, and it's so they figured they would hit two birds right. with one stone. They take some of the evidence from the Magic: The Gathering shop, the safe, and smuggle it into the Millwall grounds to frame Fanny for the robbing, and they're going to kill yeah. him at the same time. That's it. Yeah, so where we left it off hmm. was that um, uh, there was an additional little thing that one of the players, you know, had got a bunch of football hooligans to come and help him uh, uh, in a fight. So what we're going into starting the next game is a mass battle between the Albanian Mafia, a gang of football hooligans, the Albanian boss, and all of the player characters as well. So, oh, Lord. yes, it's going to be a Mental. huge fucking riot in a football stadium, basically. So that's where it's we're at. Be brilliant. Yep. It's been it's been really fun, and actually, that was a much quicker summary than I thought it was going to be. But one of the funniest things is that um, so contact is a big deal in tough guys and wise guys, and the way it works is you can spend a penny once per session as a team to use a contact of the criminal underworld. So you might say need some information, or you might want somebody to forge documents. And this is what actually happened because Nick, you wanted to legitimize the mansion. They they basically yes. stole on a mansion and you wanted to forge paperwork. But the guy that had previously forged paperwork for them was this little kid and when you've already called in a favour from somebody, you need to then do them a favour to use their services again. So Nick yeah. asked asked the little kid what he wants. The kid says he wants a blue eyes white dragon magic the gathering card, and thus the heist was born. <laughs> it's so funny that that's the, that's the sole reason for this elaborate heist that really really got us in the dirt yeah I mean it, what <clears throat> happened was we used the quick heist rules from wise guys but the guys failed so the police turned up and it turned it into a full on shootout instead and then they killed three policemen by accident because one of them decided to ram their limo into the side of the police car, not realising that when you ram somebody else, both cars take the take the damage. You roll for it <laughs> twice, but both cars take the damage. So it's like, yeah, so basically everyone ended up almost dead, and the police were dead, and several uh, onlookers were dead. <laughs> yep. Your driver, who you only met that fucking session, died. Oh my god, Velvet. Velvet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was sad. It was quite sad. That was sad. It was insane. Like, this game always just goes into, like, turbo you know drive. I've so noticed. If, like, if, you, if you ever get people in RPG committing a crime, it doesn't matter if it's wise guys or anything else, they will go to ridiculous lengths to make sure they don't get caught. And that's what that's what's going on now, because yeah. it's like, we've got to frame him. So they've now nicked a... We can't get busted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, they, they've they taken all the cards out of the safe, and they're finding uh, going to find a fence to sell the magic cards. But yeah. uh, they're pl- planting the safe in the Millwall grounds. Now, the funniest thing was is to get the hooligans on side because the uh, party had previously used uh, the Millwall supporters as an underground contact for help in a fight, right? Yep. So they had to do <laughs> them a favour. And the Millwall supporters said, look... Tottenham beat us today and they're playing Arsenal later on so we want you to go to the we want you to go to the Tottenham game and we want you to streak across the pitch and really put them off their stride <laughs> yes. so um, Ryan, uh, yeah, Ryan he basically he, he had to streak and uh, James your character helped him but he had to streak across the pitch and he decided to do it wearing a mask that looked like the Albanian leader um, 
Yeah, but he did it so bad. He crit failed on the mask making. So it, let's just—I'm not going to go into details here, but let's just say it looked deeply racist what he was doing. <laughs> and it, but he smashed it so hard. We did a—we um, did a dramatic task for him to try and run across the pitch and get away. Right? Uh, the failure means you get caught. And he smashed it. Yeah, he, he did. Because he, he it's like an extended skill challenge, and he got most of his successes in the last in the first two rounds. And I'm like, you have absolutely killed it. And he's like, wait, can I do one more thing before I go? I want to run past the ball and try and score a goal. And um, oh yeah! <laughs> but the funny thing is, he thing just was, punted it. Didn't he it? punted it. It was amazing. And then the game had to stop to determine whether or not that counted as a weather hazard. <laughs> That's a goal yeah. or not? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, mate. It was so good. And the best. Do you remember when he exited through the tunnel as well? Yes. And he, he he part of his task. He previously had set up a change of clothes in the in the tunnel leading leading out of the pitch. So he smashed it. He got away with it. And uh, it was quite yep. funny Popped because the other end looking like a steward. Another character said uh, said that he wanted to put uh, a, a bet on how much overtime there'll be, right? And so he puts the bet on, and of course Mo Exotic absolutely smashes it. The game has to stop to discuss whether or not that counted as a goal, <laughs> and um, it's it's like all the bits sort of fit into place because then James Tomasin he rolls for gambling wins, and I'm like, yeah, it was exactly 15 minutes, and it was caused by Mo Exotic, and you know when. Those moments in an RPG happen where it all just links up. It's just like, yes. Oh, mate. Yep. It's been one of my favourite campaigns ever. And I'll say that about every fucking campaign, but it's so good. I I, I was thinking the other day, you know, and and this isn't me blowing my own trumpet, it's because the, the genre is so good to play. And I think, you know, the the triumvirate of RPGs, it's always fantasy, sci-fi, uh, post-apocalyptic or cosmic horror, right? So yep. maybe it's like four. Yep. But I think gangsters should be should be the other mainstay because it's so much oh, fun. Totally, mate. It is. It really it is, is awesome. good fun. You have this kind of power, and obviously because you're you know an underground criminal or whatever, and um, you just think about things differently. So normally, like if you're just a normal party, like you know, I don't know, you have to be a bit more. You don't have to be balanced, but you tend to be a bit more balanced. But with criminals, it's just you're just in it for yourself and the people that you care yeah, about. You have so these, it makes it really interesting dynamic. They always have these weird twisted morals where it's sort of like. Yeah, they 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 have standards, but it's like people yeah, they don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're not really people. And uh, yeah, um, the funny thing is, is when we've been doing the downtime, obviously James, your character has been after after this girl called Tiffany, and it's been a rocky road trying to get here. Oh, oh my um, god! Basically, yeah, James's character has been trying to get with this girl called Tiffany, but to get a better price on a holiday, he chatted up a travel agent lady and booked a date with her and then Tiffany found out that the woman from the travel company called Leisha was having a date and wanted to go with James's character to spy on the date and see how it goes not knowing that her date was actually with James's character are you with me here listeners Ooh. essentially let's put it this way James's character had a date with two different women the one he really likes and the one he doesn't like on the same night right and he was going to try to just turn up and like do a sitcom style thing but what he did is he um yeah, you bribed Keegan, right? Yeah, you you told a story, James. Yeah. I, I bribed yeah, cool. a guy who who looks like me, um, <laughs> who looks similar to me, who's basically an hour employee. And I was just like, I'll go here, treat treat the girl nice, um, and just yeah, I dressed him in my clothes and stuff. And then he he he's hot on Tiffany too, so he wanted. He was like, no, no, like I want to, uh, I don't want to go on a date with anyone else but Tiffany. I was just like, look, just go on this date and treat her nice. Um, and then how much money I give him? Two hundred fifty quid. It was one hundred and fifty yeah. quid. 
150 quid. And I was just like, yeah, look, that means he'll be able to woo her. But this this fool just went uh, spending crazy, ignored yeah, no everything, cash. didn't didn't meet up with um, the the woman, um, and then it was just it all went uh, just put a bit a mental. nasty together, didn't it? Yeah, because because Ke- 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 yeah. he spent all his money on the way in, so he's like thinking he was flashed with the cash, and then he's oh didn't he tap didn't he tap didn't he tip the bouncer like two hundred pound just for letting him it in? It was fifty quid, and then he got to the bar <laughs> and was like, hey, I've, you know, I'm pretty flash. I'll buy everyone at the bar a drink in it. And then oh, the woman was like, it'll be £185, please. And um, <laughs> yeah, so he was really upset. So he was supposed to get, you know, be a decoy for the date uh, that James didn't want. But he ended up going around trying to sort of uh, sort of slosh together a moody pint from all the dregs. Yeah, he was mind sweeping. Oh, Is that what you he call it? Mind sweeping? <laughs> I didn't even yeah, know that. That's what. That's what that's what you call it when you when you um, are swiping pints from other tables. It's called mind sweeping. Yeah. If you're just nicking if you're just nicking the the dregs, it's probably called bottom feeding. Oof, that's that's <laughs> so gross, though. But yeah, so he was doing that, and in the end, you know, Leisha noticed James saw him with Tiffany on his arm and uh, got really angry, and it ended up in a fucking crazy fight. But what was your solution, right? What was your solution to all of this, James? <laughs> How do we how do we resolve this situation? <laughs> Look, we uh, we ended up getting this bottom fed pint, and then Tiffany <laughs> was sipping at it, and then I wanted her to drink loads of it, but she was yapping off um, at leash, and then <sighs> they were about to like get into fisticuffs and stuff about this. So I just thought, fuck it. I'm going to knock Tiffany out. And just <laughs> it's funny because there's no good way of spinning this, is there? Someone else. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, oh so God. James Continue. has a blackjack, and it's basically they get minus one or two to, to resist knockout blows. So James is yeah. just like, look over there, you know, like of my and men, and just slaps her around the back of the head. They they cart her unconscious body off to the chip shop. And then when she wakes up, James is like, she's like, oh, my God, what happened? And James is like... Uh, He's like, oh, I don't know. You just you fell over, and then, but he failed his <laughs> persuasion role. And Tiffany's just like, no, I remember. I remember exactly what happened. She stands mm-hmm. up to leave, and who's that at the door? Oh, no. It's Keegan with a ring, and she says yes. So, after fourteen sessions of gaming of James trying to woo Tiffany and finally getting a date, it ends up with her marrying someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and we got marriage and on the, the um, but the next session, uh, basically, Keegan has booked the funeral for the day, same day that James's characters uh, booked the funeral. He's booked the wedding for the same day as James's <laughs> nan's funeral. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. So that's what we're going to do next session. After the mass battle, depending on who survives, um, we will see. Um, and the plan is to hope, uh, enjoy the whole funeral, but also try and ruin the wedding. But you, we don't know yeah. how it's going to go yet. Oh, yeah. my goodness, yeah. me. Never a yeah. dull moment in Walford, is there? Yeah, that's tough, guys, man. It's been it's been crazy, and it's. A, I'm at the point now where it's like 14 sessions, and I still it still feels so fresh, and I still don't know Same. what's going to happen. I was going to say, is it 14 that we've done already? Because it feels like we're only just starting to scratch the set. Like we're actually, you know, it's taken 14 episodes essentially to get to a point where we're actually a kind of um, you've got your own know, autonomy. Do you know a what I mean? Proper business, yeah. yeah do you yeah. know what I mean? Whereas Formidable before we've just force. been setting up, we've been trying to get things together now the cash is starting to come in we've got a couple of business ventures going on it's it's starting to feel like the prop, the hard work's paying off but it's like 14 episodes in <laughs> yeah i mean it's nice it. it's really nice so worth it. it i'm enjoying the fuck out of it um, yeah same 
But that's it for Tough Guys. Um, I just really wanted to give a quick mention. I haven't been that good with it this year, but uh, Savage Con online uh, is happening again this year. It's completely free. Yep. Um, just go uh, to Facebook and look for Savage Con, the UK's only Savage Worlds convention. Um, and yeah, we're doing it online. It's going to be on Discord. GM signups are open. Um, I'm going to mm-hmm. hopefully. Well, I'll speak to you, James, because James is basically our um, online no. events manager. <laughs> no, what do you call it? What is it? Like a webmaster. You're the webmaster. So You're the webmaster. <laughs> Web. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically, uh, we'll, we'll get player sign-ups done very soon, and it's yep. going to be on May the 29th, which is a Saturday. Yes. So, absolutely. Um, yeah, and no, it's I'm just basically... I'm going to get mine up as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, uh, we've got a couple of games already. Um, uh, the one I'm running this time is going to be Savage Golden Axe. So, uh, yes, yeah, should be a good laugh. And uh, we've got a, yes. uh, yeah, quite a few games already booked. And it's just a whole day of Savage Worlds games, and you can book yeah. them for any time you want. And last year it was very fun. We had an after party on Discord as well. I was well, going to so. say, yeah, we're doing after party again because that was a, that that was incredible, crazy, and fun and scary. So yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so uh, come along, Savage Con. Just look it up on uh, on Facebook there, and, uh, yeah. and come along. That is it for what we've been saying, ladies and gentlemen. Should oh, we do yes. the main subject, the worst fantasy book ever published? Been looking forward to this. Sure? Yes, please. Are you sure? <laughs> no, actually, because it's worse than I remember. And I, and do you know no. what? <laughs> I, I I I think it's worse than I remember because I've had to buy it twice. Do you know what I mean? I hate it that little yeah. bit more yeah. now. <laughs> yes. All right, yes. let's get Stings into it. More. Main. Subject magic main. Subject Tokyo main. Subject. So I've spoken about the Void before, right? A book written by a colleague of mine, and that was probably the worst book I've ever read. But despite his best efforts, it was never published. It's one thing to write a shit story, but for a publisher to pick up something truly, truly awful and get it printed for the masses, well. There are some fantastic examples out there, such as A Gronking to Remember by Lacey Noonan or any of Bill Cosby's books, which, yes, <laughs> I was looking up some of the worst books ever published and apparently Bill Cosby had an illustrious writing career. So, I bet. But amongst all the trash, the Dan Brown novels, the celebrity autobiographies, there is one book that just about everyone agrees is the worst ever published. And it goes by the name of Eye of Argon, and it was written by Jim Thighs in the 70s. And we did a dramatic reading of it on this podcast a while ago, Nick. Um, yes, we did. You probably don't remember. It was a long time ago. I do. But yeah, published in a science fiction fanzine, this story was full of grammatical errors, bizarre language, strange nonsensical plot elements. And this novel became infamous among literary circles and was turned into a game widely played by students, where players would have to read as much of the story aloud as they could without laughing. And if you laughed, you would usually take a drink, but it also meant you would go on to the uh, next player's turn. But um, that that also, that book is the one uh, that has the phrase, um, his belly jiggled like an upset tub of jelly. And there's yeah. something almost poetic about that. <laughs> yeah, but, um, it's beautiful. What, what if I told you uh, I've found a fantasy book that slips to depths far further than the Eye of Argon? What if I told you it makes <laughs> even less sense and displays even less aptitude for storytelling or world building? You tell me I was I'd mad. I'd say why right? the fuck was it published? I'd say no way. I'd say no <laughs> I'd say way. no way, girlfriend. No way, girlfriend. <laughs> You'd be tripping. Um, but yeah, I found it, lads. And no, it isn't an Amazon self-published book. It's a book by Mortis. 
the inventor of the dungeon synth music genre. So before we begin looking at the book, I should clarify that this is the second part, really, to our dungeon synth episode, where we explain the rise of Mortis in the music world. But I'm going to give a little recap. So Mortis is a musician probably most famous for a short time in the spotlight during the new metal era. Known for dressing as a goblin creature while he plays. I've gone into a creepy voice. Oh, it's a bit creepy. <laughs> oh, the little <laughs> goblin. Oh, die sweet. Um, so, yeah, Mortis, he spent a few weeks at the top of the charts in the early 2000s, but before his Marilyn Manson-esque industrial tunes, he made a name for himself underground. Probably literally, being that he's a goblin, right? <laughs> That's but, true, uh, yeah. He, he was making ambient tracks with a fantasy theme, creating a genre which he called Dark Dungeon Music. I'm a goblin. <laughs> I um, love DDM. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's him. That was it. Hello? That's it. You're still that's there, the Mortis. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> We've got him here today. Good, good to have you here. Um, wow. Uh, so, uh, what inspired you to write this book? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this joke, this bit isn't working. Anyway, okay. after the crash of new metal, Maltese, he went back to his <laughs> underground roots and continued making dungeon synth albums for a much smaller audience, returning to what he calls Era One of Mortis. Oh. Cringe. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Got back to me. basics. Oh. <laughs> He's such a narcissist. I know, man. Yeah. He really is, right? Um, and uh. it, believe me, you're gonna f- you're gonna see a lot of that during this bloody yeah. episode. But those who didn't know about Mortis's roots in in weird electronic music were probably a bit miffed about his exit from the metal scene. And I think this is 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 very much illustrated by uh, by a uh, very well by a YouTube comment on one of his recent live performances. And it reads thusly: "What the fuck? I kept waiting for the rest of the band to appear. I mean, seriously, the guy just comes out." and plays Skyrim music for an hour. <laughs> it's the fact that he said Skyrim music. It always stuck me. Skyrim music. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, while his dark ambient so-called era one music isn't for everyone, there is one thing the Dungeon Synth community loves, and it's tat. T-shirts, stickers, badges, cassette tapes, trading cards, mortis, plushies, patches. They lap this shit up. And the good thing is, Mortis, he's no stranger to Tat, right? Every day, every day, and that's not an exaggeration, every day I get an email from his website informing me of a slightly altered album on cassette that he's releasing, or a patch, or a button, or a tote bag, and that is literally something he sells. Oh, wow. if, if there was something like the least dark, dungeon-y thing I could possibly think of would be a tote bag, you yeah. know? Yeah. Or a badge. Yeah. Here's a tote bag with my face on it. I like dark music. Look at my pin badge, it says so. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just a bit... That's how you prove credentials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've killed 15 men in the field of battle. It's a show here on the shiny badge. I love Dungeon Sim. <laughs> Basically, Mortis, he loves Tat. And amongst collectible Mortis Tat, though, there is one holy grail which is his book. You see, his dungeon synth music all takes place within a universe of his own creation, with song titles like The Black Wizards, the song of a long-forgotten ghost, and probably the worst one, Army of Conquest slash the Warfare in brackets ever onwards. Bloody hell. (laughs) 
Now, a man dressing as a goblin jumping around a stage playing a keyboard is a bit cringe, but his songs are quite great, and they all allude to this world that exists within his brain box. And in 2001, as he transitioned into the industrial era, he finally put all of his world down onto, onto paper. Nearly eight years of material about his world. Poems, illustrations, musings, a deep dive into the world that this man spent eight years working on. The book... <laughs> Eight years. The book's title, Secrets of My Kingdom. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's such a twat. <laughs> now, I do find Mortis's fantasy music quite evocative. It gets your imagination going. It has, despite its awful production and very cringe qualities, of we's, as we've no doubt demonstrated, it has, you know, some transportive qualities. But can the book that took eight years to complete really live up to what we all imagined back in 1993? I'll let you have a guess. You've seen the title of the episode, right? So, the first edition right, that he made came out back in 2001, just when Mortis was transitioning over to industrial metal and moving away from Dungeon Synth, and only 50 copies were ever printed, right? So this version is lost to time, pretty much. But when Mortis came back to Dungeon Synth and realised the money he could make peddling tat to idiots with more money than cents... It was then he had an idea. A reprint of the original material was planned with bonus interviews at the back and a new foreword by the man himself, along with fantastic artwork by David Thierry, redrawing the old crappy artwork from the original. And in 2018, this new version was released (laughs) under the name Secrets of My Kingdom Return to Dimensions Unknown. Now, uh, this this is important for context, because not only did the book take eight years to complete, but imagine hearing about it being a huge fan and waiting 18 years to get your hands oh. on this. Can you imagine the hype when this first was re-announced and they were doing a proper print run and you could finally hear about this world you've been hearing about for 18 years? Right? Just get years. that just get that into your head, okay? Because if you're the, the Mortis fan and this is the one bit of tat that's always eluded you <laughs> and you think it's going to be amazing... I tell you what it is, you would never believe in a million years, right? But anyway. <laughs> I think you'd gouge your eyes out if this happened. Well, quite, exactly. And uh, it's quite telling about the book's quality from the first page of the book is that Mortis, in the introduction, says that he hates the book, hates the name of the book, <laughs> and didn't want to republish it. But he says the fans kept asking for it. Now, that's my first little gripe here, right? Because if you didn't want to re- republish it, no one was forcing you. Let's call it how it is, yeah. right? You saw an opportunity. I can't believe you're Mortis. doing this to me, you lot. I can't believe you lot are doing this to me. Oh, you've re- you've really forced the, my hat. <clears throat> meanwhile, you know, he's... contract. Yeah. Goblins love gold. We know this. All right. Well, that's <laughs> true. That is they true. They are greedy baggers. Exactly. And Mortis is sitting on a pile of gold at the moment, laughing. Um, like a fucking it- dragon. I should say that Mortis did actually say on Facebook, he, he says that he hates the accusation that he only did this for money, but if he didn't only do it for money, then why did he do well, it? Wait. Yeah, <laughs> if he did want to republish what, it, did yeah. he do it then? Yeah. What's the other God, reason? There's no other reason. I won't yeah. tell you why, but I didn't do it for money. <laughs> yeah, so uh, 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 he also alluded to the fact that he's making shitloads of money off of his... Uh, um, job working at an old people's home which is actually quite cool but I like to imagine him in the full makeup with a goblin oh, mask on just is. serving cups yeah. of tea walking around pushing tea yeah <laughs> that goblin's been back today <laughs> <laughs> so okay we got to get into the book and it is Come I've got to be honest with you listeners it is really really weird and before we dive in I feel like I need to describe what it actually is right so 
this Mortis, he used to have a strange delusion that we talked about in the last episode, slash mm. mental illness, where he believed he was the god of another universe of his creation, and that by putting down his thoughts on paper, the parts of the universe would come to life. And this book is all about that universe. It's an attempt at a detailed setting book depicting the inner workings of Mortis's mind world. So I'm just going to read the first page after the foreword, and we're going to play a little game, right? So every time you cringe during this dramatic reading, just say the word cringe, okay? And yes. listeners, you can you can play along at home, and this will be a good way that we can sort of measure the quality of this first the first page of the book. So uh, the chapter is called The Early Visions, and I'm just going to open it up. Reflections of Horizons Dark. Cringe. In all... <laughs> in all the candles that I burn, I see formations of Horizons Dark, and in my mind, I hear voices cry so sad. Behind... Cringe. Cringe. <laughs> Behind the forests yonder, what do they hide? In Cringe. my nightmares, I can see what they hide. So evil, yes. This, this place seems Cringe. familiar yeah. in a way. It feels right, yet the sadness is ever here, it seems. Fires draw near but will not hurt me. Cringe. And I look upon the dark heavens, never trying Cringe. never trying to count the stars that I Cringe. know little of now contain secrets Cringe. I later learned. I look at me. Okay, right, I'm stopping it there. Look, we, you get the fucking picture. You get the picture, right? Okay. What a Do you know what fucks me off about this, right? And Nick, you pointed this out. I sent the guys this page um, on, on our WhatsApp group. And Nick pointed this out. When he says, I see the forest so dark, what do they hide? The book is called Secrets of My Kingdom. The, uh, but it's specifically the secret about what the forests hide is still a secret. So if we're going to learn the secrets, <laughs> what are we doing I mean, here? It's, it's fucking called Return to Dimension Unknown. How do you give someone a map for that? Well, um, you know, we don't know what it's called, this dimension. Uh, we're returning to it, but we don't. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking, right? Right, Because this is what I thought when I first read this fucking book. This first page is just a little poem that serves as, a, as a, like a prologue, right? But it isn't. Yeah. The whole book is written like this. The entire thing. It's just its just vague nonsense free verse gesturing towards a setting with very little substance. What do we learn <laughs> about about the setting in that book? That he that there is a forest that he made that he doesn't know what's in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he doesn't know it. Everyone's got it a tortures fucking him. Secret. He's very sad. <laughs> the secrets of my kingdom that not even I know. Okay, so what's the point then? What's the point? It's like me writing a setting book about Mars having never been there. Do you know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> I think Mars is, <laughs> but they, that's what that's what we're talking about, right? So we learn just about nothing from that page. But maybe I'm being a bit harsh because the second poem, right? And I'm doing that in air quotes <laughs> so hard, right? <laughs> does have some details, and it's where we begin to see him incorporating himself as the god figure of his own mind universe. And it starts right. twat. It's, uh, it, okay, he is a twat, but I should say <laughs> that he did, he has um, since realised that he was mentally ill at this time yeah but anyway it starts i have a terrible vision a vision of my universal kingdom that awaits the kingdom that spread its wings to the edge of the universe now he also talks about himself as in not the mortis character but the god but harvard elephant uh, elephson not elephant 
uh, the man. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Harvard Elephant and uh, Mortis are two separate characters. Mortis is a god that's inside Harvard's body um, that creates the universe, but also sort of with Harvard. It's, it's a bit weird, right? But anyway, so here's a line, right? This this is okay. a line. The visions are gladless as the mind of one I knew, as gladless as him when he was torn apart for being himself. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation. No breathing. So what? what he's saying there, what he's saying <laughs> is that Mortis, the god that lives inside his body, is saying that the universe that he created is miserable, just like the body he inhabits, who was a guy from our Earth that got torn apart for being himself, which is the most emo thing. So basically, it's Mortis the... <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's Mortis the author saying saying like people try to judge me man just for being myself <laughs> <laughs> it's like not only cringe but it just makes so little fucking sense and it's like the, mood, the, the type of moody poetry a 13 year old might write and can I just can I just say like I picked this book up earnestly in the first time trying like and tried to enjoy it I don't it's it, it, a, a book of vague poetry was that anything like what people imagine the book would be like. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. But anyway, so oh, from man. this second poem, we can gather that Mortis is being housed inside a bloke from Norway who is really sad, and also that Mortis rules a kingdom which is equally miserable, and instead of fixing this, right, by simply thinking happiness into existence, he just writes <laughs> moody poems. We, we know, right, that it doesn't actually get explained until a later poem, but we know that Mortis uh, can, can create things simply with his mind in this saying, right? Mm-hmm. So... Why is he worried about how miserable the kingdom is? If he wants a PlayStation, he can have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's anyway, weird, the second poem concludes with him saying he likes to go round in an infinite desert, searching for caves to plunder on the back of a black unicorn. And this is also where the writing really shits the bed because it also mentioned that there are other castles about. Now, I know that sounds like a weird thing All to right. say because with the line, there are other castles about, it's the use of the word other suggests that a castle has been mentioned prior to this, which it hasn't, which makes it more baffling <laughs> that it also mentions that there are other immortal wizards in these castles, despite no previous mention of any immortal wizards. And I can't, I can't stress this enough, right? Within this setting, Mortis, the character, is so powerful, he needs to think to bring something in, into existence, and yet he still needs to ride a unicorn around when he could just think himself to any location he wants to. Or think up a flying laser hover car with donuts for wheels. Exactly. But, but he goes for slowly riding around on a unicorn through a desert. And why is he plundering the deserts he made to see what is there? He knows what's there, unless he got really pissed and can't remember, and it's like him going into his, like, drunken world. Yeah, unfortunately, he, he no, that, thought up a bunch of barrels cool. of booze, and then the next day he's like, bloody hell, <laughs> yeah. what, was I, what was I thinking about last night? What's all these castles? Castles are whizzles, whizzles, whizzles. There's he, castles are whizzles everywhere. Up, uh, <laughs> so are whizzles. <laughs> bloody whizzles. He thought himself amnesia. Yeah, yeah. That's the, tra- that's the problem with that power, because if you, if you think for a second, uh, if you think... What would it be like if I had amnesia? And then you're like, oh no. Oh, I've got amnesia. No. <laughs> no, I've done it again. It. Like, oh, do I? But then he just needs. <laughs> what is amnesia? Do I have it? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> like, let's have a recap of everything we know so far after the first two poems. There are other castles, other wizards, and he rides a unicorn around in an infinite desert. Dark, 
Eh? It's dark shit. But the next poem is set is actually set before (laughs) any of the others, and it basically details his powers to create stuff by thinking about it and how Mortis managed to leave the body in Earthworld and go over to his mind universe. And the next one talks about a new character called the Tyrant and the Keeper of Keys or the Lord of Time Walls. They're all the same name for one character, right? And I know what you're thinking, right? The Tyrant, the Keeper of Keys, the Lord of the Time Walls. Sounds sounds interesting. You can't wait yeah. to find find mm. out more about this guy. Evocative names, mm-hmm. and we, you know we should find out mm. about this guy because the poem. They're all song names, uh, isn't it? Well, they probably are. Yes, but uh, yeah, this poem <laughs> is all about this character, and uh, we a whole two lines are dedicated to him, guys. We learn that he was born, <laughs> oh my God. and that everyone hates him. And right, this is the funny part: even trees and water hate him, whatever that means. <laughs> And then we so just and drink a bottle of water and it just stays in the bottom of the, the bottle. Don't come out. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> just nope. <laughs> he walks towards a tree and it bends away. Slaps him. Which <laughs> branch comes out of nowhere? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. Uh-oh. So he's 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 like his he started a poem and attempted. He's gone wrong. I'm going to create a new character. Two lines and he goes straight back to just vague angsty musings about how Mortis is really unhappy and rules over a miserable shit kingdom, right? (laughs) I mean, I mean. But yes, uh, now the next one is called The Stargate. And in this one, Mortis, the character, basically travels via gates visible to only to him to search for talented wizards... Wizards? Wizards? Wizzles? ...to populate his world. Something he could achieve just by thinking about it. Um, yep. There's yep. a great line, though, and this just this just like completely epitomises the angst of this so-called yep. setting book. I feel no sympathy for their crying newborn. Why should I? Mostly they'll grow up to be ignorant peasants. Although <laughs> <laughs> well, they... <laughs> I think you're kind well, of getting the picture here, guys, right? It's yeah. basically an angsty poetry book passed off as a setting book written by a man with no talent, okay? and thought about himself as well. Exactly, and he made a, made a universe so paper-thin it's basically invisible and describes it in the dumbest, mo- most egregiously moany way he possibly can. <laughs> and just when you get some semblance of a setting, he'll suddenly stop talking... He'll, suddenly, he'll just stop suddenly building up the setting and start talking about himself and how unhappy he is again or how he can create stuff with his mind. Those are the two subjects that every <laughs> poem is about, with, like, with, without fail, right? And the universe, as very core, makes absolutely no sense because another detail we learn in the poem entitled The Black Wizards is that everything Mortis creates has his will injected into it. So the reason trees hate the tyrant is because Mortis hated him too. So trees, even inanimate objects, have his will, right? Right. But if he hated the character, why did he think him into existence in the first place? Can't he just think him away? Oh, that key for a key, you know what? Bing! Gone. Yeah, or just, uh, or he could just think, and he's a nice guy. And also, if Mortis's will <laughs> is is like is is injected into everything, why does he dislike that guy? Because the guy yeah. surely has the same goals in mind that Mortis does, and does whatever the fuck yep. he wants. Yeah. So yeah, they're just extensions of him. So he should love it because he loves himself. Maybe that's why he hates him so much. Oh, he's a yes man. I hate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Oh, fucking kiss us. <laughs> He just does everything I say without fucking question. I hate him. <laughs> and uh, not only that, right? Um, but at uh, some point, Mortis makes a tower, an infinitely tall tower, black, of course, and it's like his lair, right? And nearby right. is a is a prison made of crystal 
which is guarded by the Black Wizards. Again, I can't stress this enough, and I'm sorry to keep bringing this up, but why does he need guards to guard a prison of his enemies when everything in the universe is created by him and has his will? If he wanted them yeah. to stay put in prison, they would, because inte- his intentions are automatically transmitted to everything in the universe. So it brings to mind Absolutely. the question as to why these people would commit crimes in the first fucking place. Crazy. Did you Did you also say a dark... So a black tower and a crystal palace. Yeah, it's a very dark tower, isn't it? Does he just rip that straight out of Stephen King's dark tower or what? Yeah, he's he's done that, but with um, oh, but with, yeah. with like about a, a, a one thousandth of the talent, basically. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, this shit keeps coming up because in the very next page, he tells us that the use of time-telling devices such as sundials or clocks are banned in his universe, right? And the use of them is punishable by the confiscation of one's mind. Right. Unless Mortis, the god, has the IQ of a tree, which is apparently higher than we expect in this universe, why would he allow time devices to even exist if he hates them so much? And why are people who share his will doing stuff he doesn't want them to do? I don't get it. And once you take their minds away as punishment, does that mean that there's just a load of, like, mindless bodies sitting about? (laughs) You can't have your brain back until I tell you. For creating a watch, which you couldn't have done in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Guarding a prison that no one's in because no one would be bad. Exactly, and and to be fair, he could just make a prison that's base that's inescapable. He could just think that into existence. We just, so yeah, anyway, they really shouldn't be there in the first place. But if they are, they couldn't escape because he would just make it inescapable. <laughs> but anyway, look at the end of this poem. Once a fucking again, we get more meaningless nonsense about how Mortis is the king, and it says, "I reign above what I create, for that is written shall be adopted as the fundamental rule everywhere." And so, another brief encounter with the observer of stars is coming to an end. Cringe. Uh, exactly, and Cringe, he yeah. calls himself the observer <laughs> of stars, and he's like. At this point, I did write in my notes. You can see that I've written that, like, I was shouting because I was getting really annoyed at this <laughs> yeah. point. And it's like, <clears throat> I, I just, you know, shut the fuck up. We get that you're the king. We get that you everything you think comes into existence. We don't need you to remind us on every page. But the poem entitled Destroy the Crystal Lake is is next. And this is where we get a little bit of uh, of world building. In this, we learned that Mortis okay. accidentally created corners of the universe that he can't remember, right? So our theory is true. Because okay. he heard a... Re- he heard he a got ru- pashed. This yeah. is what's funny about it, right? So everything in the universe has his will. But he heard a rumour, right, from someone in his universe that someone called the Rainbow <laughs> King is ruling over <laughs> an opposing, like, light-based land, right? A kingdom in the corner of the universe that he can't see. And the Rainbow guy has cried and made a lake of crystal from his tears. But here's the thing. I don't know how he made a... a, a okay, so let's say he's made so much stuff he can't remember all of it, right? Okay, that's fair enough. But a bloke turning up that he doesn't know how he got there? Who's his arch nemesis? Right. <laughs> now, what we... He could just think away? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the, the funny thing is, is uh, we're going to do another cringe game here. So I'm going to read you the poem. Let's see if we can get through the whole thing here. But I'm going to read the final... Maybe I'll just read the whole poem. But it's, this is the Destroy the Crystal Lake. Here we go. Right. I want, just imagine me in a high-back leather armchair with a cigar. Yeah. And I'm, you're just mm-hmm. coming in. And I'm like... Oh, hello. 
destroy the crystal lake down there below the mountain foots beyond the seemingly endless woods where no good goblins and ever nasty trolls hide their fell and vicious looking faces from the sunrise there where paths exist only in daylight for these woods are bewitched of old and there are (laughs) there are but a few secret passages in the night dimly lit by the stars of wisdom Down there is to be found a valley not yet darkened by the shadow of my tower. Legend has it that that is where the Rainbow King's tears were shed and darkness cannot pervert it. I'm going to skip a verse here because this is really bad. Now behold the gust of old black wings beating and charging towards that valley beyond the goblin woods towards that valley where happiness seems to prevail. Cringe! And see, a female is resting by the lake at the end of the road. Cringe. cringe. (laughs) <laughs> and is her not her what? And is not <laughs> <laughs> is her not hair? Is not her hair beautifully dark? Question mark. You tell me, mate. You fucking tell. Me. Yeah, okay. you wrote it, mate. Cringe. <laughs> the next guest before the throne is lying before my sore red eyes. But this place, an Cringe. intruder, unwelcome. Who made this place? You did. Uh, who made this place exist? <laughs> you did. You. And shall I bind this place to me and pervert it with evil? Shall I hereby oh, chain it cringe. to my ever-growing landscape of time? Shall I destroy this crystal lake? Sure. Do it. Destroy yourself, mate. Do it, please. <laughs> but who made this place? It's like it's, it's like when when you're drunk and you wake up and you find like a half-prepared sandwich on the side. Did I? Where did this come from? <laughs> well, well, I want to well. know. What I want to know is um, who upset the um, Rainbow King so much that he cried a lake? And also, the poem contradicts himself because he's saying that's an area where happiness prevails. And this guy's so fucking unhappy that he cried an entire lake of tears. All right? <laughs> yeah. so that okay. is not the Mental. sign of a happy person. Mortis, he, he must... The character, the god, must be fucking stupid because he's like, wow, this yeah. place is lovely. This guy's been crying <laughs> for a so year. Happy here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was only chapter one. Lads, bear oh. in mind, we're 36 pages in here and it's starting to take shape, but I'm just going to spoil it now. It doesn't evolve much beyond this. We <laughs> we only ever get the tiniest uh, detail about anything. My main goal is to blow up and then act like I don't know nobody. <laughs> so yeah, that chapter was called The Early Visions, and beyond being really emo and really poorly written and lacking in depth, one thing you'll likely notice is that it's not really organised in any way. For example, mentioning other castles before before any mention of castles has ever happened. Um, and you know what, well, I, I read poetry because I'm a prick, and often the poems <laughs> might be grouped by theme, or they might be ordered in chronological order if they're attempting to tell some kind of story. And uh, this book has got a kind of meta plot, right? There are some very minor plot threads that run along in the background, but it's ordered simply in the order he wrote them. And or now I'm thinking that it might just be in the order that he gave to the publishers, right? Because <laughs> there's kind of a hint that the, the their poems have been published in the wrong order. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. So I think he just picked all his papers off his off his desk, gave it to who was it? Threw them around. Colt never dies. Back up. Yeah, pick them back up. And then just uh, gave it to the publisher. There you go, publish that. Shut up. Sorted. Shut up. You put in some chapters. Yeah, so uh, that's what that's what I think. And uh, I just think that's really, really, it's the laziest way of doing things. Or maybe if he'd have just grouped it in chronological order or a way that made the world building more fun. Maybe start with the creation myth of your own universe. But instead, obviously, uh, he, he decided to do it in chapter two, which is called An Ever and Onwards. And, uh, yeah, the world creation myth is the first poem in Chapter 2. And guess what? Chapter 2 
is the only other chapter too. So it's <laughs> it's only a two chapter book. So he, he clearly got bored and stopped this, oh, right? But wow. so yes, it opens with the world creation myth of Mortis's universe. Now that has already been explained about ten times. But now he retcons the whole thing, right? So, essentially, the Rainbow King made it all. Not Mortis, right? Which contradicts what? just so much of everything we've read so far. But instead of going back and editing the early ones or leaving them out entirely, he just put this in it. He just he just put his... I, I, I just don't know what to think anymore or why I exist. But yes, uh, so basically the Rainbow King actually made the whole lot, which contradicts about, uh, just about everything. And then somebody called the Terrible One turned up and fucked everything up. And I think oh, right. that's Mortis, but it never yeah, actually says. Say. So basically we've got to chapter two and we've thrown everything we've learned so far out the window. Um, and basically the Rainbow King made the universe now, who I suspect from reading this that Mortis the man in our universe also controls within the canon of the story because so much of chapter two is dedicated to lyrics of the songs rainbow king sings for some bizarre Mm. unknown reason Uh, but let's do another cringe game (laughs) shall we because i'm gonna read god of the world the second poem in chapter two whenever you cringe just say the word and also i'll give you bonus points for you don't say it out loud all right but just uh whenever you notice a poorly constructed sentence just just have a little thing right Okay. I, and that is I as in yes, I as the soul, silent trolls wandered across rivers through forests dead and waste. Armies cringe, cruel cringe. and great broke up from the ground and destroyed four cities of sparkling beauty. I as the rainbow king was driven away and his cringe. only son was cursed for eternity and the trolls dug the deep dungeons and crypts of the tower. No fucking punctuation there. As this realm's legends were spun and beheld with awe, one single spirit flew into the shadows of a long winding river, following its streams until it's ending in another dimension. Here becomes the cosmos one with spirits, the essence of me dwelleth here. I built the mountain of spirits, the mountain that symbolizes the power and reign of the one, the master of spirits and stars. For long ago, I gathered spirits to become me. I became the mightiest spirit in the spirit world. The highest in its hierarchy. For ages long, I was humankind's chosen god. How I thrive in mankind's pain inflicted my now cosmic spirit name. Cringe. Cringe, cringe. Okay, so... You see how it doesn't evolve. I mean, this, these were written a couple of years later, apparently. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, th- I think I think what he's I think what he's trying to do there, he's trying to say, okay, look, the Rainbow King created it. Then I came along, right, and I just was I was so fucking cool, right, that uh, basically I took over, and that's how it. Worked. But he, yeah, because so one of his albums, I think it's called Fata Morgana, and it's a side project of his, and I think he also made that album from the perspective of the Rainbow King. And can I just say one thing before we carry on? The Rainbow King is the shittest fucking name, isn't it? Oh my goodness me. Because I'm just imagining... Well, like, I, not not there's anything wrong with this, but I'm imagining somebody really flamboyant, and he tries to make these, and like, flying on a unicorn that's fighting out a rainbow, and like, get, like, <laughs> yeah. sprinkling marshmallows all really over the place. Do you know what I mean? Robes on. Yeah. M- maybe in Norwegian, like, this has, like, it sounds cooler, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't think it does. I can't believe I just can't believe Dwelleth That's a Do you like my bedroom? I Where I dwelleth In chapter 2 He tries to go For pseudo medieval talk But he doesn't actually know How the words are used And this is illustrated By the fact that His um, subscription uh, Based thing on Bandcamp He calls it Cult of the Black Wizards The with two E's Right The meaning 
Yeah, or your, right? So I beseech yeah. thee, Lord, right? So it's cult yeah. of you, black wizards. Cult of your black... Yeah. I mean, fuck me. Are you fucking... But he tries yeah. it. He tries it in chapter two a hell of a fucking lot because... Yeah, but it, it doesn't work because he doesn't know it. I mean, but it's fine. But whatever. Listen. What we're going to do now is I'm going to give you some highlights, right, from the rest of the book. Yeah. I, yeah. This is basically because I got bored of reading it. But um, I think... <laughs> that, and I think these highlights are kind of funny. In the, and it's going to be the form of a game. So I've got a list of ten things that may or may not be part of the setting book. And you've got to tell me oh, if yes. it's Mortis or Mitis... As in, did this really come from the book or is it my creation? Just say true or false, because uh, I couldn't think of a good name for this. All right, number one, the tundra of self-loathing. <laughs> oh, I don't... It, see, the hard thing is, it could be Mortis or it could be you being satirical of Mortis because it's so... <laughs> oh, it's a hard one. I think that's you. I'm going to um, I'm gonna vote you too. No, that is a real place from the book. <laughs> <laughs> What does the tundra of self-loathing look like? Is it just like, you know, how could you how could you describe that I, as a landscape? No, I guess I don't know. <laughs> so like how what, tundras, you know, they have very little emotion baked into them typically, but this one, it's fucking oh, miserable. Mate. Maybe it's all the snow is made out of tears. Uh, next one, a character called the Riddler. Oh, uh, that's off. Fuck, fuck off. Let's try out Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but is that Mortis or is it Metis? Mortis. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Metis. <laughs> that the Metis thing is so stupid. Um, yeah, that is a real thing in the book. There's a poem dedicated to a Fucking character called yeah. the Riddler. <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever pointed out to him. You know, that's a Batman thing. I've stolen the jewels, Mortis, and solved this <laughs> riddle. Um, number three, the boot of misery. Metis. <laughs> okay, just Got say for, okay, yeah, okay, fine. That's my that is my one. Sorry, I spoiled that one. <laughs> a poem entitled "Lend Me Your Staff of Wandering," and yeah, is spelled Y E R. Lend me your staff of wandering. That's oh, Mortis. Mortis. <laughs> Correct, Amundo, guys. Lend me your staff of wandering. Oh God, if you don't mind. <laughs> I've lost right. mine, thank you. <laughs> on the tundra of self-loathing. <laughs> it's, it's a horrible place up there. It really it, makes you think myself. about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Number five, a monster called the Muncher of Minds. <laughs> oh, that's no, that's got to be you. Yeah, yeah, that is me. Muncher. Um, yeah. Number six, a character called the Scribbler of Destinies. Hundred percent Mortis. It's got to be Mortis. Correct. It's the ones that are trying. So, so, so. The trend I'm getting is like the ones that are, I don't know. You can can't tell he's it, trying there, can't you? Yeah, and it's actually the it's scribbler actually, of destinies. Who scribbles a destiny? Come on. If it's a destiny, give it the fucking respect it deserves. Needs, mate. Just at least a paragraph <laughs> or types up. You know what I mean? <laughs> he knocks them up on the back of like fag packets. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, just feel like writing a destiny. Someone get me. See, I've got a napkin I can write on. <laughs> yeah, here you go. It's your destiny, mate. <laughs> um, Sorry, okay. it's got a bit of food in it. <laughs> That's fine. It's part of destiny. <laughs> Number seven, a good counterpart to Mortis called Lestis. <laughs> Fuck off. Shut up. That's you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, uh, number eight, the Spider yeah. King. That better be oh, you, otherwise it's been ripped straight out of Stephen King's Dark Tower as well. It's Mortis, mate. Yeah, unfortunately that... Are you kidding uh, me? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's nicked yet another thing. Number nine, the kingdom of the Mongs. 
<laughs> the kingdom of the Montes. That's my kingdom. That, I actually struggled for a minute there because that's your kingdom, Nick. That's your new house that you've moved to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I struggled for a second. I was like, did I make that up? I mean, that's that's how bad this fucking book is. I was like... <laughs> uh, number 10. A poem simply called I Am Hold. Mortis. Him. It's about time. I bet it's about time. Yeah, it's pretty much... Yeah, it's him. But it's like, you know, uh. you it, p- poetry is about coming up with a interesting way to say something, right? And, you yeah. know, any other poet, like even a crap one, would, would instead of saying, I am old, it would be like, I walk not in time or something like this. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah, like, I'm old. Yeah, yeah. I'm old. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> I am old. So after these, and and that was a, that was Mortis or Metis, but uh, so <laughs> after the second and final chapter, there are some bonus materials, and I think I'm just going to read the last poem out because we read the first one, and let me tell you, this is where Mortis had truly given up, both figuratively <laughs> speaking and literally. And here we go. My eyes are empty, so they say. It's just, it makes me so angry. No love signeth through, they say. I don't know what you meant by that. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel pain, just like you. Why reveal my eyes, not the grieving soul within? They say eyes mirror the soul. Could it be that I have none? For if that be it, I am truly lost. (sighs) There's so much uncertainty. It's just nothing, is it? I mean, there is almost... Is this what I think it is, or maybe not? Who knows? That is life. As a person that is... That's like doing a string of saying, like, oh, yeah, potentially, maybe, perhaps, it could well be, perhaps, maybe, yes, but because... He's sitting on the the fence for everything. Because, yeah, that's that's the trouble, right? Because he, he's, I think he's more concerned with everything sounding mysterious. So when he went, when he wrote this book, Secrets of My Kingdom, what he really meant is you're not going to have any of the secrets of my kingdom. And it's like, but like if I was to write Mortis poetry, I'll do it right fucking now. How about this? I'll do like a live freestyle in forests dark. I see lowly creatures. What secrets do they hold? What treasures in their hovels? Do you see? Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Upon my eyes I do gaze the endless horizon, or do I not? For I do not know what is beyond there. Wondering questions, maybe it is time and soul. You see, you've got you've hit the nail on the head. This took eight years to produce, Nick. That's just words. That's we just literally we, words. It's, it's just word soup. Yeah, exactly. It's just like <laughs> it's alpha spaghetti, it's man. Soup. Come on. <laughs> So, yeah, great setting book, basically. One of my favourites. But let's do a quick <laughs> oh recap God, of everything we know about Mortis's world, right? And there's gonna, I'm going to include some... I'm going to include all of the other relevant details. All of the details I left out from the entire book, okay? And I'm going to include them all here within a little recap. So, it's a world creation, created partially by a man, partially by a person that man's body used to hang out in for some reason. Um, this being called was called Mortis, although it might have also been created by the Rainbow King. But he can Mortis can simply think things into existence, but decides arbitrarily not to most of the time. <laughs> it's also mentioned at one point that he often creates stuff he doesn't like, only to destroy it for fun. Mortis <laughs> accidentally created the universe so big he can't remember big parts of it, which is how the Rainbow King got away with existing for so long. <laughs> there are goblins, trolls, starborn, and demons, and some vampires that exist. Mortis has a big tower, there's a crystal prison for some reason, and there's an endless desert which has a bunch of caves amongst it for some reason, and Mortis rides a unicorn. So what the fuck was the point in all of that, eh? 
<laughs> wow. If you want, and, and look, look, I'm not judging you. If you like this book and you want a book of 200 terribly written poems, 95% of which explain nothing and just go on about how miserable someone is, then this might be for you. Yeah. But it, ain't for, it ain't for me. And just to prove that I'm not being fucking disingenuous and, and you know, taking everything out of fucking context, we are going to select a poem at complete random. You, One of you two, uh, uh, we'll go for James. James, pick a number between 1 and 149, and I'll just read whatever poem comes up. 69. Hey. <laughs> nice. I could have predicted that one. <laughs> Towards the western wall of time, can you feel the rain? So heavy and sad in a way, falling... Can you see the sky so dim and grey? Do you feel the heaviness, the santa, the sadness enter and possess your mind? A grammatical error there. A feeling of emptiness and nothingness. The feeling that surrounds the western shores. Here are stones and cliffs always so wet. And the smell of rain and rotten grass floats along the ground. The only sound is the lonesome whispering wind and distant thunder made by those mighty spirits travelling with western winds. Spirits never walk among these trees. It's so empty. The moisture in the air make the freezing cold. <laughs> oh my <Okay>. god! <laughs> you if see, I if, I could give this, if I could give this a genre, I'd call this faux. What, what would I call this? I'd call this faux bleak uncertainty. Foetry. Foetry. Yeah. So you know, we're reviewing this as a fantasy book, and that is what it is. Although it's a poetry book, it is it is supposed to be a setting book. It's supposed to elucidate the facts that were long hidden within his music right and yeah. you don't get you just don't get that and uh, I think we can agree that it fails in just about every regard from the format to the world building to the awful awful writing but at the back there's a couple of really good interviews including two with the man himself but also the artists that helped this bring bring this book well not to life but like they drew some great pictures basically mm. um, I mean you guys have seen the artwork yeah, all of him though yeah the art's good the artwork's good the artwork is nice yeah, it's good. but he's a narcissistic prick because it's all him <laughs> <laughs> and on, on the cover art, they've sort of put a little border around the picture. And Mortis is holding his hand Ooh. up, right? But the trouble is, you can mm -hmm. only see his index finger and his thumb. So it looks like he's doing that loser sign. Loser! <laughs> <laughs> hey, how many worlds have you created that's so big you can't remember that you don't really control because you can't be bothered? Loser! Loser, I have. Or have I? <laughs> <laughs> You're a loser. Or are you? No, no one knows of these secrets. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, they, what's interesting though, right, is that they clearly didn't hire an editor or a proof, proofreader for the interviews either because they're riddled with grammatical and spelling areas, errors. Oh, no. And you can tell that whoever transcribed the interviews was doing so from a dictaphone, which is common practice. But what's interesting is that um, most people who learn English outside of the UK tend to learn American English, right? Yeah. And tend to be taught to say words in that accent, at least like it seems in European language schools, right? Mm. And so at one point, the interviewer asks Mortis what his influences are, and he mentions Dragonlance, right? The D&D <laughs> book series. The yeah. transcriber obviously misheard, because he obviously said Dragonlance, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, in the book, it says yeah. Dragonlands. Uh. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is RPGs were really popular amongst the black metal types at the time. A fact that Mortis very much doesn't want to admit. So when asked about RPGs, he claims to have never heard of Dungeons and Dragons. Ah. Despite, right? He, he says he's never even heard of it, which is fucking impossible. Because even my fucking mother-in-law has heard of it. Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, and he's a huge Dragonlance fan. So uh, 
obviously knows what D&D is because he's read the D&D books. And he Come refers on, to mate. RPGs as an attempt to distance himself from them. He refers to RPGs. He says, I've never played any of these Lord of the Rings games. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Before we wrap up this segment, it, it must be said that Mortis is not a native English speaker and did write this when he was a teenager. But the thing is, if I'd have written something this bad and said publicly that I don't want to republish it because I don't like it, I wouldn't republish it. There are more important things no. than money, and I think, and, and and also, there are more important things than a shameless cash grab like this. I also think, considering that his English is a lot better now, he could instead of just doing a lazy republishing in a random order of all of his stuff, he could have gone back and edited it and made it better and polished it. Yeah. But the trouble is with that, yep, if yep, you yep. take out all the guff. And you retranslate it. You've only got two pages worth of material. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it could have been a pamphlet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mortis, the re-release of his long-forgotten pamphlet. Or is he re-releasing it? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. Bloody so, yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think? Uh, Nick, we'll start with you. What's your What's your opinion on uh, The Secrets of My Kingdom Returns to Dimensions Unknown? Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I'll be honest. I think, the, I think the title of the book sums up the content of the book. You ain't got a fucking clue. You walk in not knowing what's going on. You probably walk back out having no idea what's going on. That's pretty much it, isn't it? So you know what? Maybe maybe jokes on us, you know, because it's yeah, like secrets of point. my kingdom. And uh, it, but what you th- yeah, if if he's got us, he wins. Bastard! I'll tell you what. Though, if I was waiting eighteen years for that, <laughs> wow. Imagine waiting 18 years. Well, I, I obviously didn't listen to Mortis back in 1993, but imagine waiting a couple of years like I did to read this, buying it, selling it, then realising it would make good <laughs> podcast material and buying it again. Buying it again. Welcome back. <laughs> That's £80 I'll never get back for the worst oh, book I've my. ever read in my life. Thanks. We, could, we should auction it off. Um, it's, I, might, uh, I might sign it. Yeah, there you Mortis. go. See, add a bit of... <laughs> or add is a bit it? Of Question mark at the bottom. <laughs> Just put Mortis... Um, yeah it's you know I mean I'd like to I'd I'd love to think that there's some like scholarly types out there that really dig this and they sit and discuss you know and you know like art when anyone can kind of take away something from art yeah you can kind of push any meaning you want onto just about anything exactly so I hope there's some people that really like dig this because that's funny but uh, no not for me mate I need a bit of structure and I don't yes. want the, And there's too much questions to the reader. That's the problem. Like you said, it doesn't tell you anything. I, I think the writer knows less than the reader does. That's what it seems. That's true. That's true. I mean, there's a lot of details that I could infer about the setting that he probably does. He's never even thought about. Um, <laughs> yeah, James. How about you? You like it? Uh, no, I, I don't think it's even no. worthy of being. Um, you know whether you've been read on the crapper or even being used to wipe your ass with, to be honest. That's the trouble, isn't it? Yeah, that's the trouble. I mean, and the thing is as well, like, making it a £40 book, that I know there's a big, big, big fucking difference between an RPG book and, you know, a regular book, and this setting book is supposed to be a collector's item. But if he'd have printed it by a normal publishing company on a normal book format, he could have done this for a lot cheaper and I wouldn't have been so scathing. Well, I probably would have still been so scathing, but the thing is... He could have done a better job just having the artwork only. Just the artwork. Yeah, totally. Like an art book of just his shizzle, maybe some interviews. That's it. A couple couple poems, just two poems, not sitting... Just just pick out the best ones. Pick out the best of the shit and then just chuck those pictures in it and get more of them done. Because the artwork is the only, like, good bit about it. That's it. 
And yeah, they weren't even yeah. done or by write him. poems about the fucking pictures. Yeah, yeah. more to go on. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is, it, 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 as I said, it fails in just about every regard. It doesn't tell a good story. The poetry, while evocative of a very specific kind of mood, really only does the same thing 200 times. And then there's it, there's the fact that as a setting book, it fails as, as poetry. It fails as a story of any kind. It fails, but it's not trying to be that, I guess. But as I look into the man's psyche, uh, I suppose it's, it shows quite how... Look, people say that music- musicians are stupid, right? And this book has convinced me that they are. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that is it for the worst fantasy book ever written. I was just about to throw it at my wall, but I don't want to damage the wall. It's quite heavy. Um, right. No, let's uh, let's do some electro letters. I need some joy in my life. Yes. In the future, you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. Um, so we asked your uh, your guys' opinions of, um, is it possible for the GM to cheat? And what this uh, basically stemmed from was, uh, I was having a, a chat with uh, with a mate down the pub about, about something that happened during a game I was playing where the game was about a bridge where everyone would go to and they would disappear. Turns out that it was kind of a weird game. The bridge was a giant mech and it was being operated by a panel underneath it um, and the guy was sitting in there operating this giant mech then going back to bridge form. Now, the thing is, during about the first 10 minutes of the game, one of the players who had the wall walking ability says, I'm going to check under the bridge. Goes under the bridge, rolls notice, gets a raise, right? And then uh, the GM says, no, you don't find anything. You don't find anything. Um, but when we get to the end of the game, the GM suddenly says, Oh, yeah, you found... Yeah, you find a door on the back. And we're like... Okay... So all you, you've blatantly ignored the rules there, right? Um, and is that cheating? Is it possible for the GM to cheat? Because I told this to a mate of mine, and he essentially... His opinion was, No, it's not possible. <clears throat> you that That's part of the job. And no, then, that's, that was cheating. Yeah, I think it was too. But we'll get into our opinions. But we'll first uh, have a listen to some of yours and see what we think of them. Uh, Yorkus Rex, he says, It's the prerogative of some GMs to cheat. I know many GMs that roll dice behind the screen and fudge results for the sake of storytelling. They reduce damage against PCs or declare monsters miss when they really hit. Yeah, they claim it's not cheating, but they are cheating players out of the full experience of the game. If a game has combat, then death is a possible outcome, and wrapping the players in protective padding and kissing them on the forehead is robbing them of true agency. Besides, if you cheat in their favour, what's to stop you cheating against them when situations change, like you're having a bad day, or Stinky Bill ate the last slice of pizza without even chipping in a couple of bucks? <laughs> Sorry, Stinks. That's the third crit in a row against your pizza-scarfing dwarf. He's dead. Roll in the open. Accept the results. You're playing a game with a story you're playing a game with story elements, not the other way around. If it's important enough to roll, it's important enough to accept the consequences. Sure, your players might, might be trying to epically save the world, but part of the story is that along the way, Stinky Bill's dwarf failed a climb check and fell into an open sewer and drowned. <laughs> R.I.P. Stinks. <laughs> I, th- I certainly think that's one perspective, isn't it? And it's probably the one I share the most. Um, I don't roll out in the open typically. I want to start doing it, mm. 
but I sort of like the mystery a bit. Because, you know, you say, for example, if I'm rolling to attack and a monster has a plus three, and I roll, I get a 12, and I go, he got a 15. Then the players know what the bonus is. Do you know what I mean? And I like that little yeah. bit of mystery where it's more yeah, about yeah. listening to how I've described the fight rather than just looking at the numbers. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Mm. I'm I mean, more but- up for that. Yeah, and I, I don't mind rolling in the open at all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's absolutely right when... He, he sets a precedent, doesn't it? If you start cheating in their favour, and one day, mm. Nick, let's say, you know, you've slept with my wife, and I go to the game, <laughs> then I could cheat against you. You cheated on me, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to cheat on you. <laughs> That's it, it's all different. <laughs> John Williams, he says, that is a good question. And that's where we'll leave that email. <laughs> no, he says it, it certainly can feel like the GM cheats when uh, when it feels like they change the rules from what the players expected them to be or nerfs a class slash character ability halfway through the session or something else that just goes against player expectations for some games it isn't cheating because the GM runs the game clarifies the rules or whatever but it goes against the rule of cool to nerf players now I've definitely... I've done that recently, and I don't know, James, if you think this was like a fair way of doing it, because sometimes I will realise that a ruling I've made on the fly will be overpowered, but I'm never going to do it mid-session and change it. I I might start the next game and just go, look, I realised this ruling I made sucks. We're going to change it for this session. See what I mean? Um, Do you think that's a fair way of doing it, James, though? I think no. I think that's fair because it's like I think with our group at least we've kind of got to this place where it's just like you know what if we if it's cool and quick we'll we'll double check the rules but most of the time it's just like ah oh, fuck it make it up on the fly and then do some homework when there's no game happening and then come back to the next yeah. session and just be like right I fucked up this is how it's meant to be or you know that thing yeah that was that was pretty broken so we're not using that anymore. And we're, yeah. it's just easier because obviously you start a game with a certain understanding of the rules. So you're going to play it like that and then it's a lot easier to deal with. And if it's just like, ah, that's broken, you just might make a note in front of you instead of, yeah, because like, you'll stop the momentum otherwise. Yeah, and you also you also kind of cheat players out of doing their cool move. You know, like let's say, for example, in Tough Guys, if you guys went and just nicked a rocket launcher from somewhere, I, I'm, I'm not going to look up damage mid-game. I, I could... Most guns, I could probably confidently say the amount of damage they do in Savage Worlds because there's not yeah. that much variant. But like, let's say for example, you got the rocket launcher. I said, okay, that does six d ten damage, right? And then I, I sort of later realised midway through the game, that's way too fucking powerful. Well, you're going to use it for the rest of the session because I made that fucking mistake. You get to do it, and then next session I'll just go, look, we all, we've all had fun with the explosions, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all had a laugh. We know D ten D six or whatever. Yeah, whatever. yeah. So that's that's I don't know. I, I think that's yeah, a really it works. It works. N- nerfing mid game, you're explicitly saying, you know. Uh, I don't like how well you're doing at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. I made a rule on the fly, and now I don't like the look of it. It's like, nah, you kind of got to stick with it for now and then reassess it for the next one, which makes sense. Otherwise, you're going to kind of, you know, <clears throat> be all over the place like a, in a game. Yeah, totally, which sucks. totally. You can have one session and, like, you know, yeah. you change it midway. It could have took a boss out in one go. Just and go then for it you know, you, know. Know. Yeah. you did with your Cypher game. It was a system you didn't really know. And then... No, that's right. Rather than... Because we're doing shorter games, and... Uh, you know, you just would, here's a ruling, let's carry on. Do you know what I mean? And then maybe look up next game. Well, maybe don't. Who cares if it worked? Yeah, Stick with it. Cares? 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's, totally. the good thing about Savage Worlds is that I, I know it fairly well. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, absolute yeah. expert, but I know it pretty well. So at the moment, it's not really an issue. But yeah, um, Terry Hansen, he says, cheating is the best part of being a GM. <laughs> Get. Shut it. Get out, Shut up. Shut, Shut it. it. Shut it. Um, Lewis Pineda, yes. However, if he's going to move, do it to move the story forward or to keep a role from totally derailing a game, it's uh, it's excusable. Uh, I agree, Lewis, um, because... But there are a few circumstances where I will do it. At the moment, in our games, I pull absolutely no punches, whether it happens within the first five minutes or at the end. But usually, if you've just started a campaign and they're about to die... Yeah, I'll, I'll like, I will likely cheat to save a party from a TPK. Although, yeah. in my entire RPG career, I haven't had a TPK, I don't think. No. Uh, except for con games. Mm. So, you know, I mean, but the, I'll often be really explicit about the fact that I am cheating. For example, um, uh, like, if, if I am just going to save you from a bullet that's going to kill you, I'll be like... And then at last minute, your uh, mate jumps in front of it, and you see I get torn apart, and then it'll be like, oh shit, we need to run. That type of thing. So it's more like yep, giving you yeah, a hint. Yeah. <clears throat> it'll be like, here you go. Yeah. This, is how, um, this is how fragile you are. Run away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, Stephen Van Der Vire, says, no, the GM runs the game if they want a role. Um, the GM runs the game how they want. If a role doesn't go their way, they have creative license to adjust, in my honest opinion, in the name of a better story slash gaming experience for all. Also a good, a very good perspective, and one that I don't necessarily mm-hmm. mind, really. Um, a good example, and we spoke about this in our horror episode as well, is that the uh, during the DCC campaign we played on the AP... Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a guy that you totaled really early on, and the adventure was supposed to be about outrunning this mad killer called Mike while you're going through the desert. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I just made him unkillable. You, you could stop him if you shot him, and he went down to zero HP. He, he would stop, but he'd get back up. But that was sort of how I made it horrific. But it was a decision, decision I made on the fly where I sort of cheated. Because I was like, maybe I didn't make him too powerful enough, and we we were recording an AP. I can't write this, rewrite this uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, adventure yeah. midway through, you know. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. So you know, I, I I guess I did there, and you know what? It's 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 something I share the opinion of that sometimes it's okay to keep the story moving to do yeah, a little I bit agree. of a, totally, a little. Totally agree. Yeah, but yeah, but not... we're we're playing to an audience, so that's completely forgiven. And that's a like dramatic, yeah. That, that's a dramatic if we um, were thing, like isn't it? Around so. the table, it it's really is situational, isn't it? Because if it's like, we, if you're we just are, fudging, th- those those games are not like <clears throat> normal table games. But no. the main the main reason being is that you guys kind of have to have a hundred percent buy-in to the scenario. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Because there's I, there's nothing else happening. But like that's really the major difference but yeah and that time i was like this isn't something i would usually do but this is for an entertainment purposes so i'm doing it versus it, it. <clears throat> exactly but yeah and I, I don't know like it's something it's, i don't really fall on the same side of the coin as steven where it's like you know i ran it how i want i'll cheat all day uh, you know if it's for the story but uh, but occasionally i do f- fall on that side of things do you know what i mean yeah mm. yeah 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 um, yeah, so Daniel Owen, uh, we'll, we'll make this one the last one because we actually got a hell of a lot. Um, but Daniel Owen, he says, possible? Yes. Recommended? 
No. Sounds like a mortise <laughs> poem. <laughs> yeah. um, I understand that sometimes don't, don't provide the greatest suspense or drama, or do they? But that's what the dice are there for. To decide that they are optional, to me anyway, ruins the idea of it being an RPG. If someone is going to overrule what the dice say, even if it's in favour of the rule of cool, it's probably better suggested not to roll the dice at all. Screwing the players over plot-wise, however, is the purview of the GM. As long as it's not simply to get the players and make sense... This is what makes the game interesting. Um, and yeah, like, like for example, when you guys came back to the chippy, le- leaving only Keegan and Ian Beale in charge, the two biggest <laughs> idiots in the world. And then I, I said, you know, your shop has been smashed up. I could have rolled something, but I didn't, because I just thought that makes sense within the story. Yeah, you know, totally. 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 It did make yeah. sense. Yeah, of course Completely. We were accepted with our fate. <laughs> but it's, yeah, but it's like, if you were rolling and then rolling... Uh, you know, and just going, yeah, he just he hits you for like 20 damage, bro. Like, <laughs> like you're fucking dead, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's out of order. Like, yeah. fu- I, I see what you're saying because, you know, fudging, it, it denies the players a, a, a part of the game, but then sometimes you've got to do it. Like, you sit down at a session, somebody dies within five minutes. But then, you know, you are, I suppose, cheating players or something out of the game. But then if it's a system where it takes ages to create a character, I'm likely just going to go, look, you've only been in five minutes. Uh, I'm just going to fudge it. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. imagine creating a and d character midway through a game. <laughs> totally. No thanks. But in all the games that we tend to like, you can roll up one pretty quickly. That is true. Mm. So, yeah, Nick, we'll start with you. Is it possible for the GM to cheat? <laughs> Yes, it is. Of course it is. Um, To what end is the question for me. Um, So when I first started GMing, I was very, very conscious of not having everyone die. Mm. Uh, I was also very, very conscious on whether my game was going to be OP, which I think is probably a common thing with with confidence, I guess. Um, And I was really worried. So yeah, I was really, really scared that people would die and and great characters that had been made were in trouble. And the first ever campaign I rolled, um, I rolled, I I run, I did, uh, yeah, I did did keep you safe a little bit to start with. Yeah, but the thing is, like you said, it comes with confidence and knowing, you know, one thing you learn quite quickly as GMs that players will do anything to get out of a bad situation. And so look at like, the first few sessions of your Savage Worlds campaign, it was like, you know, we you would be like one zombie or three zombies most. But then, yeah, then we yeah, had the point yeah. where they were surrounding the fucking stairwell and I threw that kid in to feed them, to distract oh, them. Mate. So, I mean, but yeah. you, you, it's just that I don't think is... Well, yeah, I suppose it is cheating the rules a little bit. But then, to an extent, it's just something By you learn. Yeah. That, that yeah. it, it putting a powerful encounter that's too powerful for the PCs, it's just another type of scenario. It's not a bad thing to do. Look at DCC. Like, literally most of that game, uh, that yeah. campaign ended up with you guys running around things instead of fighting them. Because it was like... <laughs> that's brilliant. It's, it's two people in a DCC campaign. It's like, it's like like it. half a and d character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, it's so true. But no, I'm, so yeah, for that, 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 but... You know, when you when you get a bit more experience under your belt and 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 whatnot, then I just let the dice do the rolling, really, because you know the unpredictability of it makes it exciting. Yeah, I mean, and look- also if you fudge to start with and then decide to stop, you know, players got to pick up on that. Yeah. Why were we so lucky for three weeks and now we can't, you know, yeah, I don't know, and you, you lose consistency. So it's a it's a dangerous game to totally. play. I, I, I got accused of uh, fudging in my cyberpunk campaign. 
Um, because right really? at the uh, right at the end, yeah, my mate uh, Katie, she said to me, "How much do you influence the game?" Because right at the end, they just started doing well, and I'm like, "No, you just started rolling higher. Pay fucking attention." Yeah, it was yeah, kind of yeah. funny because that it was like throughout the game they couldn't roll shit, and they turned up to the race, which was like you know the final encounter. They turned up to the race battered and bruised, and you know minuses to all their rolls, but they just suddenly started getting crit yeah. after crit after crit, and I'm like. This was supposed nice. to be my big cool encounter, and they just absolutely fucking burnt rubber, and uh, and did amazing. Mate, but uh, that's the that's the dice gods yeah, though. You sometimes, yeah, when it syncs up like that, when it's like, can we do this? I I just thought they're all gonna die. <laughs> they're definitely all gonna yeah, die. Yeah, totally, totally. Give it a shot, but, but never James, mind. What, and then, what, you know, the guys dodd think What do you think? Possible for the GM to cheat, and should they? See, I think you can. Uh, so we've already established. I think you can forgive uh, sort of beginners. Um, lack of knowledge um, yeah. and, and that but I think yeah uh, GMs can cheat it's, I think it's quite easy it can be quite easy because they can pull punches they can make punches um, and they can basically pull the rug out from under your feet they can allow you to um, you know this has happened as the dice have played out but where we set on a Mayan voyage main maiden voyage of like a ship that we had taken many sessions to build up oh my um, God. and then yeah. the dice just fucked it and it's that yeah, was the dice yeah. but as a gm you could you could have just done that because you've been like you know you know uh, well they've got uh, this super dice and ryan i would argue yes. fucked but it. it's yeah. like you could <laughs> do that but uh, th- that is yeah that would be cheating because you what you're doing there is you're trying to push the players into a situation that you control as yeah. a gm yeah. whereas if you just roll with the dices it's just like uh-huh. all right well, well I, i've also found happens. this a uh, uh, kind of a mm. good way of doing things right is that like there's, there's certain ways you can stay within the rules and manipulate it or or, or just you learn ways if you do have a more linear story and there's nothing wrong with that if you do have a more linear story you learn what makes the players tick do they you know yeah. if you want them to get to go if you want to get them to go there do they respond to their stuff being stolen do they respond to people that need help you know what whatever you learn over time and then w- with you they're... guys it's pretty much money um but uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no mostly stuff it money and stuff I like I like acquiring things. So yeah, like, yeah, you do. You know, yeah. I, rather than the cash, I'd like to. Uh, you know, if we if we raid some sort of shop, I like to think right. How can we own this? Yeah, shop? yeah. Like, that's, that's what it that's always is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you yeah. kind of learn these things, and it's it's really hard to know at first. And I think this is probably why a lot of early GMs fudge because it's really hard to know, know that you can't know the skills for funneling players and things like this or, or totally. if if you haven't tried it and you do just have to give it a go. And I guarantee anybody on their second go they'll realize but the story can happen even without a single fudge do you know what i mean yeah. you can just go yeah absolutely sometimes it does result a bit in a bit of piecing together and changing stuff but that's part of fun and also um just yeah just a, a little thing for any like if you're doing a mystery thing or you want players to follow a trail of clues all i do nowadays is i just write down the events and how they happened and the good thing is you'll notice mm-hmm. there'll be there'll come up other opportunities where they can find the thing do you know what i mean so they're doing a murder investigation and the bloke used a knife and threw it under the couch right 
So yeah. let's say, for example, uh, what you want the player to do is to search under every surface, right? But let's say they go into the kitchen. They go, do I notice anything here? Well, then you could just say, well, there appears to be uh, one of the knives is missing. And you don't find it in the dishwasher. You don't see it in the sink. Do you know, like little things like that. But little yeah. techniques mm-hmm. like that, it's like, I'm still using the rules. I'm not fudging it so that, you su- so that you succeed and just saying, oh, yeah, you take longer, but you find it. Do you know what I mean? I'm still using the rules. Yeah, totally. But it's like those yeah. little techniques, they take a bit of time to learn and... It is, and it can be hard, and that's I think why most players, uh, most GMs do fudge at some point. But yeah, I've I, I mean this fucking campaign. I don't have any uh, the tough guys one. I don't have any notes. There's no po- there's no railroad to be honest. You guys no, are doing the your shit. Your notes you know what I mean? come during and after <laughs> yeah, the game. Totally. That's, that's all, all it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and most of them are. These are loads of situations that you as the players have made. So it's this. This is food for thought, and that's it. So you just. All you do is just like, right, you've done all of this with a little bit of assistance from me as the GM to flesh out the the situations you're in. But other than that, it's like, okay, what do you want to do? Because you're making it happen. And I'm just, I'm sure just um, facilitating the game that we're all playing, really. That's, that's the beauty of it, though, because it's like, at this point... Um yeah, it's, this game has really taught me more than anything else the, the 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 real power of having a fully player-led campaign because I'm literally like, at the point, stupid shit's going to happen. Uncinematic shit's yeah. going to happen. But that is also the story at this point. I mean, yeah. we I, love I, it. We love the uncinematic At the beginning of this campaign, shit. I could have never predicted that we'd be doing a heist to steal Magic the Gathering cards. No. You know oh, what I mean? Totally, yeah. Streaking yeah, exactly. down the pitch. In a gangster film. Yeah, yeah. But exactly. we've got a, uh, we've got a uh, final question in here from John the Paladin. And it came hey. from, via email. I think we should answer this and then we'll move on with our lives. Um, because he's got like, okay. he sent like a bunch of questions in for us. So he says, Greetings, mm-hmm. 3T lads. I really enjoyed the Dungeon Synth episode. Enjoyed listening to your recommendations and thought I'd message you to get some more recommendations for other mediums. As such, I've attached a bunch of questions, some weird, some not. You don't have to answer them all. Uh, top three movies <laughs> is the first one. Top three movies. So we won't go into too much detail, but yeah, uh, James, top three movies. Oh God, uh, District Nine. Um, Good choice. Fucking oh shit, shit. Uh, uh, um, I'm just gonna pull some out of my ass. The Mask. Um, <laughs> um, you love and, the Mask, man. Um, it's a good film. Uh, Rush Hour. Isn't. Oh, I forgot about Rush Hour. That's, oh, that is what easily one of my favourite. Me and James do like a yearly watch of the Rush Hour movies. Yeah, uh, Nick, how about you? Uh, me, I'm going to go for um, favourite films. True Romance. Um, oh, another good Fear one. Fear and in Las Vegas. And, also good. Uh, oh, my last film will be what's my favorite film shit uh girls gone wild too <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> as good as that is um no let's go for you watch it for the plot yeah exactly mate exactly uh, debbie I've, does dallas i've got loads but uh <laughs> let's go let's go battle royale that's a classic that's a great oh, he's a good man Such you guys have all picked film. films i wanted to pick uh uh the good the bad and the ugly yeah is one yeah very it's good. a mad 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 world is two it's <laughs> yeah. like the best comedy movie ever made yeah. and Three is probably Mad Max Two. Those are probably like because mine change all the time. That's Those same. are probably my current yeah, ones. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um. What are your top three books? Oh, that's easy. Nico. Yeah. I've. I think mine are going to be similar. My number one book of all time is George Orwell, nineteen eighty four. Um. Okay. Absolutely love that book. Um. 
What else do I like? Uh, oh, Jesus. I thought that was easy, but then... <laughs> it's, it's... Dark Tower, Nick. I can't believe you haven't mentioned that. Well, that was going to be my last one, of course. Uh, Stephen King's okay. Dark Tower. Well, pretty much everything, that's the, most things that Stephen King has written. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for The Count of Monte Cristo. Nice. I really yeah, like. Book. Yeah. Um, probably Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. That's a good one. Yeah, okay, yep. Yeah. And... Do you know what I really, really like the Name of the Wind series by Patrick Rothfuss, but it's not finished. And I, I have to say, I absolutely fucking love it. But nice. um, I'm going to put it as my final book. Probably, oh, oh it's got to be the Discworld, Guards, Guards. That's that's oh it. Oh my yeah. god, how could I forget about Guards, Guards? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I'm surprised Dante's Inferno's not on there. Do you remember when I was like, you should read that, and he was like, yeah, well, I, I, I read <laughs> it and then took it on holiday a, with you. I did a freestyle rap about it on our group, <laughs> yeah. if you remember. It was about yeah, the nine exactly. levels of hell, and it was like really bad white man rapping. It was wicked. James Clark, how about you? Top three books. Um, I don't think I read enough to answer this question properly, so I'm going to say uh, the Old Testament, the New one. Testament, and the Book of Hymns. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is like Desert Island Discs. You can't pick the Bible or all the complete works there. of Shakespeare. You read a couple of books recently. Which ones did you like? Um, oh, fuck. I can't even... And don't the... say porn books. Porn books. <laughs> Sexy books. <laughs> um, a porn book, please. The Woods by Harlan Coburn. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. All right. He, he, uh, John the Paladin then says, What TV shows are you watching at the moment? And we'll throw this to James first of all, because you are more of a TV sort of guy than. Yeah. I'm watching The Flight Attendant at the moment, uh, which is pretty decent. It's on Sky. Um, it's worth a look in. Uh, I'm also re watching for the umpteenth time Death Note, but this time with uh, <laughs> my girlfriend and my daughter. Yes. So it's like it's wicked. We're we're getting near. We're getting near. Very we're in the, the twenties of the episodes at the moment, and everything's just all gone fuck down. And I'm just like, yes, it's back. That's such a great series, man. It's like it's the one anime I can actually kind of take seriously, even though it's yeah. got a lot of the stupid elements in it. And um, um, another one, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm uh, watched the. <laughs> I'm watching um, different series with different people. So I watched the latest UK one. I'm watching the first UK one with uh, my daughter. And then I'm watching some of the original American ones with my girlfriend. Ooh. The first UK one was awesome. And I, one, of my, one of the favourite contestants is Bagger Chips, which I just think is a great one. <laughs> Bagger Chips! Yeah, because yeah, you know how like drag in this country is somewhat different to American. It's less about the glam element and it's right. it's more about you know bawdy um you know working men's club entertainment you know right. like <laughs> yeah yeah Lily Savage and style. that's why i think yeah exactly that's why i think um the uk one's so good but you watched uh you watched the season six is it the one i told you to yeah. watch james yeah we watched that one that was good <laughs> that's great it's got one of my favorite quotes of all time and i can use it as a jingle but there's there's basically they do this you know like the apprentice you're fired you know the the sub show thing they do one in rupaul's drag race nick which is called untucked and it's basically all of the contestants (laughs) arguing backstage there's this great quote that everyone always quotes and where people are having a go at this um this drag i don't know what to say like lady or whatever anyway they're having a go at this woman who's Man dressed as a woman called Laganja Extra Extravaganza. Extravaganza. (laughs) Right? And they're all having a go at him. And then uh, they're like, you know, we're not trying to attack you. And he just yells at the top of his voice, Well, I feel very attacked! (laughs) (laughs) And there's also a bit where um, one of my my favourite contestants, Adore Delano, she's like uh, uh, walking around. Just like Katy Perry. 
Yeah, quite a lot. And uh, he he um he just goes, "I'm sorry for crying all the time," and it just that line. I don't know why it just cracks me up. <laughs> He's got such a distinctive voice. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> how about you, Nick? What are you watching at the moment? Uh, so I'm, I, uh, I wrapped up Parks and Recreation, which I absolutely loved. Um, <laughs> and then I got... Uh, so, that, that, what did, so that got me onto The Office, The American Office, which I'm currently <sighs> watching. Um, season three I'm on. Uh, and what else did I watch? Just been watching some easy breezy comedy at the moment. And uh, Superstore. Well, that's good, man. It's quite funny. Uh, I, watch, I watched the whole thing of Superstore, which is... Again, a comedy show set in basically Walmart, if you like. It's so, uh, it makes me so happy that you're finally watching The American Office because it is yes, fucking mate. good. Like, it's, it's different to the English one. Oh, but it's, it's so cringy, great. but it's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I love it. Very good. It's good cringe. Well, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been watching. Um, well, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Because I only watch really, really <laughs> terrible TV shows. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, I, I was the most thrilled I've ever been recently because they put two new series of uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills on Netflix. So, uh, <laughs> I, look, I don't usually like that type of reality reality show, but this one's particularly good because it's mental. And I just wanted to see the origin of where that meme, you know, the one where this woman is screaming at that. Like, oh, like the cat. cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the, right? the screaming half of the picture comes from that show, and it's called uh, Ma- the episode is called Malibu Peach Party from Her- from Hell, and it, is, it, is, <laughs> it sounds like a book. It is one of the worst, like most cringe moments of TV I've ever seen, and it is fucking great. Um, but oh, on, on, a, on a better note, uh, yeah, because I, I love trash TV. I'm sorry, but uh, I've mm. also yeah, I've been watching Love Island as well, Love Island Australia, and oh. but uh, something actually good. I've been watching the well, the new series of Alan. This time with Alan Partridge oh, starting. Yes. Fuck me, is that? It's so funny. It's like basically, listeners, a a spoof version of really light entertainment, educational slash news shows that are on mid afternoon. <laughs> Yeah. and it's just it's so fucking well acted and and uh, it's just so cringe and there's so many little bits of story that you see just by the way people act or the way they um, will say something and like there's a point where they're doing a section on body language and one of the hosts is like you know somebody might cross their legs if and his co-host just goes if they've promised to show a brand of socks on TV and then he just uncrosses his legs <laughs> and it's like <laughs> little things like that like it just yeah, I fucking <laughs> love it good. so good um He's a genius, isn't he? All right, we've got a f- couple more of these questions, and yep. and uh, well, we'll wrap up, all right? But I'm quite enjoying okay. it. So, favourite places yeah. to eat out? I'm going to go first uh, on nowhere. this. Nowhere. Pandemic. Sorry. Shut up. <laughs> Do, yeah, no, but let's pretend for a minute that we're allowed our freedoms, because this is America, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> favourite places to eat out? I... I think should we take fast food as a given, right? We all like fast food, yeah. right? Yeah, we're talking restaurant taste. Restaurant taste. Sit down. Well, sit down, meal. I actually have a really big soft spot for Frankie and Benny's and uh, and Wagamama, but it's like Frankie and Benny's is like an English imitation of American food, and Wagamama is like yeah. an English uh, interpretation of Japanese food, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I like them both yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. they're <laughs> fucking great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a shame because the, the Frankie and Benny's, and I know you're going to cringe, but I was young, all right? It was the first date I went out on with my wife. We went to Frankie and Benny's. It's like so Pearly not a romantic restaurant. Was it Pearly Way, Corridon? No, it's, uh, we had one in Red Hill. Uh, so it's even worse. I thought you might. Because oh, we had a, everyone used to go there because uh, it's on like a complex. Well, you know, where the cinema yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, so Frank and Benny's. Um, but uh, I, I have to say, uh, no, I was going to say a pretentious answer. No, go on. James, what, what's your favourite? Oh, well, it's got to be your bog standard Nando's. Yeah. You and chicken 
You and chicken. It's like you're such a stereotype, James. I chicken know. and rice. But, chicken rice. <laughs> um, <so, laughs> <laughs> no, actually, well, to be fair, it's favourite place to eat out. Yeah, that's definitely up there. Um, if I had to choose just some random ones, I'd say there's a wicked uh, Filipino place called, uh, I think it's Lubo um, in, is it Lubo? Can't remember. Maybe that's wrong. But anyway, it's in Ells Court and it's fucking awesome. It's like... Nice. It's like um, to go there fa- family run, um, and it's like proper authentic Filipino food. So fucking go there. It's awesome. Good boy. Um, you are some money, Lubo. I don't think it's that. It's Lupong, <laughs> Lu, Lu, Lupong Pinoy, I think, is actually it. Oh, okay. Lu- yeah, fuck it. So, I'll find it. I'll find it, and I'll send it to you, lads. It's great. Very nice. Please. Um, and then another one. Oh, I was going to say Waggers as well. You can't really... Can't really you can't beat them. it, man. Great no. prices, pretty decent food, and to be fair, for all you, all you people out there moaning that it's not authentically Japanese, they say it as well. So it's Japanese-inspired food. Yeah, there you it's go. Fucking good. Um, but yeah, fucking um, James once said to me, Nick, because um, you know James loves Nando's, anything to do yeah. with chicken. You would eat <laughs> yeah. chicken for every meal if you could, and a snack, and drink it if there was such a possibility, right? Yeah, just broth, mate. <laughs> yeah, so um, well, James was going on holiday and they had a Nando's at the airport and so James ate chicken for breakfast and he was talking about it like he discovered the secret to turning like water into gold, right? Because he was like, I had chicken for breakfast! Chicken for breakfast! It's amazing! And I had, James, uh, James, you live on... You, you've you got your own flat. You could have chicken for breakfast anytime you want. Anytime you want, no, Especially was, since um, your scam when you were stealing chicken from Skainsbury's. <laughs> didn't, do, didn't do anything. Um, they, uh, the uh, fucking... No, they had Allegedly. The egg. They had Nando's Benedict. It was like their take Ooh. on the uh, fucking eggs Benedict, but they had their own sort of sauce and then obviously in the, the meat part of it was the chicken. I thought it was yeah. fucking A. This is fucking That does a. sound one fucking thi- good, one, actually. One thing I've got to say about Nando's is uh, even their hottest sauce ain't hot. Yeah, it's for wimps. It's fucking wimpy. Yeah, there's no spice there. But that's, that's, the the trouble with, that's the trouble with eating out. You never really get anything anything truly spicy, do you? Because they've got to cater for the... Uh... I don't even get a sweat from Nando's, ever. Um, me and James once, uh, a while ago, and this is getting off topic, but we once did... We used to make a really crap YouTube series, which we... Um, which, un- well, <laughs> fortunately, is no longer available. But we did one, because the county that cool. we live in is called Surrey. So we did a challenge, the hottest curry in all of Surrey. And but we only we went to uh, three towns. <laughs> yeah, but we went to nine restaurants in one evening and asked them to give us the hottest thing on the menu, and then we'd try it out. And wow. it ended up being so expensive because a lot of them wouldn't allow us just to sit down and order one thing. They would say, "Well, you have to buy a round of beers, or you have to get some rice with it." Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. it ended up costing us a fortune. And and it, when they're trying, they can really fuck. Actually, curry houses in general, you can get hot stuff there. Yeah, but they, uh, well, there was one point where James, James was like, the last he was one. like the last one. He was like, "Don't tell them to make it too spicy. Don't do it." And I was like, as James went to the toilet, um, I said to the guys, "Can you just go fucking buck wild on this shit?" And we heard them <laughs> laughing from the other room. Like as soon as he yeah, went in, in, he was in the like, kitchen, they were laughing. I didn't know what they, they were, were laughing about until he fucking <laughs> told me. It was literally, it hurt so much. Yeah, James didn't know why they were laughing. And when when we left the restaurant. Can I tell them what happened? Wait, wait a second, before you do. Um, and of course you can, but wait a second, before you do. So it was so spicy that um, nothing would quench the spice. And I, if it anyone's hurt. ever fainted, that feeling of being faint, I was stuck in the middle of feeling faint. 
Oh, that feeling. So I was he, just that delirious motherfucker from the spine. He was like sweating, crying. He looked like he was. He had like the flu. Like, and uh, yeah. Then what happened afterwards? Since we were walking home, <laughs> and I was obviously feeling like filming James's face, like all in pain. <laughs> yeah. And he bought he bought a couple of supplies along to help with the spice, right? So he had like bread Salt. rolls and lemons and salt and things like this, right? <laughs> So anyway, we get to halfway down this residential road and it's about half an hour walk in either direction, right? And there's no loose. There aren't any. <laughs> and suddenly the need to shit hits oh, James no. so hard. He just he has to bend over on a patch of grass by the side of the road. No, no bush. There's a bush, mate. It was like a bush, yeah. And I started filming him. So I saw I saw James's shit literally coming out oh. of the arse and he was going, stop filming me! <laughs> And, I, and then because we had nothing to wipe with, he used a, he used a couple of bread rolls and left them there. They're not for your ass. <laughs> oh, oh God. To be fair, John the Paladin, he he comes in with a couple more questions, but I think we're going to leave it there because I don't think we're going to top the shit story. Um, that was our favourite places to eat out. So I didn't do mine. Do an outro. Oh, you didn't. I don't actually. Nobody know. cares. No, I don't. No, I'll, I'll do what I'll do one. I like a nice steak, so I don't mind Miller and Carter. Oh. You've been to Buenos Aires, the Argentinian one. I have, yeah, that's banging as well. Can we just do the Fucking top wrestling good, moves, please? Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> top three wrestling moves. Mine, punch. <laughs> Two, clothesline. <laughs> three, I'm a quite a big fan of the Hurricanrana. Yeah, when, they, when, yeah. He, when he goes, wiggles around him and then does it into a DDT. Yeah, yeah. yeah very good. Uh, I, I love the, um, absolutely love the crossface chicken wing, if ever, anyone remembers that. Yeah, it's got such a good name as well. <laughs> yeah, because uh, of the name. Uh, the crossface chicken wing! The reverse DDT is always, you know, The Rock used to do a fantastic reverse DDT. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. And the last one was, do you remember? Um, I can't remember what it was called now, but I think it was Goldberg, and he'd get, he'd hold them up in a suplex for absolutely ages, and yeah, then he'd drop so, them, uh, swing them, and slam them. Fucking Goldberg was my favorite oh, wrestler mate, of all time, man. But when they, when they, when he went over to WWE, he they made him less powerful. Yeah. The yeah. cool thing is, I I love the way like Goldberg's thing was that he would just like eat hits, like yeah. somebody would smack him full on in the head with a chair, and then he'd just be like, <sighs> boom, and he would just still stand up. Yeah. He was amazing. He was. Are you a fan of like, you know, some wrestling moves, you get like the technical ones, like Goldberg's suplex, or the figure four with yeah. Ric Flair, yeah. but then you get some that, the power comes from the fact that it's a special move, like the people's elbow. Or the, st- <laughs> yeah. the Stone Cold Stunner's another one. It's like the two middle fingers. That's part of the move. Yeah. That makes it more damaging. Absolutely, yeah, it does. It does. Oh, in, God, um, yeah. in our primary school, we um, we if you got if you got done doing sh- stupid shit on pri- uh, on break, you had to go and face a wall. And I was about to stone cold stunner somebody, and I put the two middle fingers up. And uh, my teacher, a guy called Mister Featherston, he was just behind me, and he went Harrison, and I was like, oh, I didn't get to do it. <laughs> oh man, stupid. But yeah, James, you got top three wrestling moves. Yeah, suplex, um, nice. people's elbow, nice, and. Uh, Wait a second, I had another one in my head as well. Oh my god, I just remembered, sorry. You know, we always used to play wrestle when we were kids and we really would actually hurt each other. Oh, yeah. Um I remember do you know the the move the Russian leg sweep? Yeah, oh it's my like god. One of the shittiest moves in wrestling from under him, yeah. Yeah, oh, no, my, yes, um, yes, I think my, a different one. My yep. brother's mate, um, he was a guy called uh, a guy called Greg, and his finisher was the Russian Greg sweep. <laughs> which I just thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Very good. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I know Funny. that you know that thing that they the claw the face claw thing where they just stump oh, on mandible the mandible claw, oh, the mandible mankind. claw by mankind. Oh my god, that was horrible. He put a sock on and then just basically choke him out from inside their that mouth. Dirty old sock. Yeah. I was rewatching um, Hell in the Cell with Mankind and Unta- Undertaker oh recently. That, Most epic that wrestling the, match ever ever done. 
absolute peak of WWE, yeah, it was. man. It was the, so the, fucking the, good. The Attitude Era, or whatever it was. Oh, mate. Yeah, that's what it was. It was the best. And yeah. it was at the same time we had the uh, NWO era in oh, WCW, yeah. which was fucking great. Sting. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> yeah, Sting, man. He good old Sting. I think he's still going. Yeah, I think he is as well. I, I saw The Undertaker's still at it, man. Oh, he's like 60. Him. He's got to pack it in, bless him. He's done. He's, he's, he has paid his service to the sport. Like no he one... did the best match in WWE history. Yeah. Let him go. Yeah, no one can. No, you know, T- Taker is the the ultimate wrestler. Like just through going for so long and being so consistent. Like he's let him retire for God's sake. I, my, so uh, well, quickly, favorite wrestlers. I, I'd say mine was Goldberg, and I really liked <laughs> Rey Mysterio Jr. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if we're going back to that day, it was well, all of them really. But fucking, hell, I loved the whole Kane and Undertaker brother thing. That was mm. great. Uh, and Stone Cold Steve Austin and um, The Rock were my favourite back then. They were great. James, you didn't really watch any, but do you have a favourite? Hulk Hogan. Yeah, not bad. Shout. Oh, he, was a laugh. <laughs> he had a, he had a seen... really powerful leg drop. Do you remember? Like any any leg yeah. drop through the game was. It's fine. so funny. That's how you can tell that somebody's from the old school wrestling because a leg drop would be a finisher. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, totally. like, a leg drop is like such a blase move that you chuck out of nowhere. But that was another move where it's like the the move was powered by him doing that hulking up. You know, yeah, that was it. Hulkamania's going wild, brother. He did the ear thing. <laughs> One of the most vicious looking moves, and it was literally just a, a smash, but it was, um, do you remember the clothesline from hell? And it was done by one of them two guys, I can't remember if it was Bradshaw or whatever, and he literally just floored them with a really powerful clothesline. Oh, it was um, Scott Steiner, wasn't it? Uh, maybe as well. Was it? Yeah, Scott Steiner did as well, but I'm sure I'm sure when that was that whole thing, when it was um, Thingy Bradshaw and that other guy, they, I can't remember, they were like corporate protection or whatever, I can't remember what they were called now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. All right, well, anyway. we better leave it there. I mean, he did ask us a couple of other questions, top three vampires and top three board games, but we're going to have to leave that because we're already at two hours. Oh, bloody hell, we're still Fucking chatting. Okay, we can pick them up next time. Let's do an intro. So that, we're an intro. <laughs> right, we're starting again. All right, we're going again. Another Welcome two to hours. Marbles, Marbles, Marbles. <laughs> How am I supposed to feel in this moment? Garja, I didn't want to make it that everybody was attacking you. Yeah, I feel very attacked. Relax, relax. Just, uh, yeah, don't forget to go and look at SavageCon on Facebook and sign up to a couple of games. Um, additionally, 3TRPGpod at gmail.com to email us. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to donate on Patreon because that way you keep the show going yeah. during these trying times. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also like to say, yeah, if you want to hang out on the streams, YouTube isn't really where our main output is, although all the podcasts are on there, but subscribe to the YouTube channel and... Yeah, if you want to come and hang out on the fucking Resident Evil streams. I, I, I'm trying to get Nick to do a stream, and I really want him to do a really chilled-out golf stream. Yes. Playing some golf yeah, games. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> fun, I've it? got everybody's golf, maybe, so... What you, yeah, what you could do... And everybody's golf is a cracking game, mm. but what you could do is um, get the chat to be your caddy, and they pick what club oh, you use and shit like this. that would be so much fun. That would yeah, be fucking yeah. great, right? Let me get settled in and then set up, and then I'll, uh, I'll start getting it done. Awesome. And well, that is it. I've been Harrison Hunt. I've been Nick Lambslice. And I've been James Pumpkin Clark. And remember that D20s are cool, but 20Ds, now that, now that's a good thing right there. Or, or is, is it? Great, great one, guys. <laughs> oh. We spent too much time together, isn't it? All right. <laughs> yeah. See you later, lads.